Welcome to Gay is Only Cinema, the podcast where all the movies we watch are rated G for gay. I'm your host, Teddy. And I'm your host, Sia. And today we're watching the movie Latter Days from 2003. Uh, this is an interesting movie because it actually, just from my research, I think it was probably the first gay Mormon movie ever made. I mean, that, that makes as, sense. As like a specific particular theme. Mm. I know there have been at least a few others since because I've watched some of them. Mm. Not all of them that I know of, but... <laughs> Not even a... you could do that. No, it's oh, it's tough. Partially <laughs> because, because it's like such a close topic to me. For, for those who don't mm. know, I was, I was raised Mormon and uh, eventually left the church specifically because I'm gay. So watching gay Mormon movies is like there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of baggage there <laughs> yeah especially Naturally. especially because people tend to get things wrong mm. and yeah. which c- can make it harder when it's something that's so close to your experience but also like off yeah 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 I can imagine this one actually the first time this wasn't the first time I watched this particular movie the first time I watched it I felt like it was pretty inaccurate to, like, the experience of being gay and Mormon, at least my experience of it. Right. But uh, on this watch through, I actually did a bit of research ahead of time, and I found out that uh, the writer and director of the movie, C.J. Cox, he was raised Mormon in eastern Nevada and even served a mission and, like, got a degree from Brigham Young University. So, like... Clearly, he was going from personal experience on yeah, this yeah. one. So so this watch through, I watched it with a bit more of a generous eye. And like, while it's still pretty different from my own experiences, like I can see it as being if maybe not necessarily representative of all gay Mormon experiences. It's like plausible. It's a believable. Right. Yeah gay Mormon experience, you know? Like, I could see people like this Yeah, because it's not a monolith, so... Exactly, exactly. Like, I think part of why I uh, was less generous to it the first time I watched it is because there's a tendency to, like, assume if the movie is being made from, like, an outside perspective that the Mormon characters are being presented as, like, an example of Mormonism, like, representative of all Mormons. Right, yeah. But like clearly, and that part felt inaccurate to you. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. T- to me it didn't feel like representative necessarily of like the whole right. thing. But it clearly isn't intended to be representative of the whole thing. It's specific. It's, it's the these... specific experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also like I was thinking through reasons why it might have rang false to me initially. And uh, a few possible explanations I thought of that, like, uh, probably it's some combination of all of it is, like, probably to some extent, with some specific stuff, 
he was definitely taking artistic liberties. Like there were some specific yeah. like things that were wrong that like he did for the sake of the story, you know? Right, right. And uh, also, if this was the first like first uh, game movie to market itself on being about Mormon stuff as well, it makes sense that you would maybe not go into certain things and just you know leave some some stuff to artistic license and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's some stuff that like part of my issue with it was that I didn't feel like it felt natural for certain stuff to come up in certain circumstances. Right. But, like yeah. clearly he wanted to work that stuff in somehow so he kind of shoehorned it in there <laughs> and i mean i mean i feel like in general this movie uh i mean it does have some like it often feels like this happens because it needs to happen for the plot rather than it being an organic scene yeah definitely like so i think that's a problem in, in other parts of the movie as well yeah like uh cj cox was the screenwriter for the film uh sweet home alabama so, like, mm. you clearly can tell he's a rom-com writer. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of the ways some of the stuff is kind of uh, yeah. contrived. <laughs> I mean, I, a... I was there were several points where we were like, this is very fan figgy. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very contrived. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah, the other thing I was thinking is maybe there was some amount of executive meddling or, like, movies mm. being made by committee and like yeah. wanting to make the movie be more accessible to a non-Mormon audience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So intentionally like, skewing feel. things that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, just the other possibilities of why even just my own personal experience of growing up gay and Mormon might've been different from CJ Cox's experience of growing up gay and Mormon was that there's definitely a bit of a generational divide because this mm. movie came out when I was like 10 years old. And yeah, yeah. Uh, in the past few years, especially, but in like even like in the in the past decade and a half or whatever, the church, the Mormon church has slowly been intentionally softening its positions on gay issues mm. like over time. Uh, the Mormon church still considers it like a sin. It's not like pro-gay marriage or pro-gay at all in any way it's just super polite about it now <laughs> sure <laughs> and it, yeah. it, it used to very much be the stance that like oh you can't actually be gay it's like mm. something that it's you struggle with same gender attraction and right, yeah. like you can fix yourself by being righteous enough or whatever now this sort of more uh official party line of the church is like well, of course you can be gay, and you just are gay, and you can't change that, and that's fine. But you could just, you just don't act on it. You just yeah, be yeah, celibate. Just yeah, just don't do it. Just be celibate your whole life, and then yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in heaven, God will make you straight, and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, I think, I think, even just in general, there's, like, the last 20 years has been, like, there's been a tremendous change in in social attitudes in a lot of cultures um, it's true so so i think that's more broadly true as well um, yeah 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 and then uh and the... I, I was even like like there's a lot of stuff that, that i was like oh this was still going on in 2003 uh because you sort yeah. of forget about how like for example uh the hiv crisis is still like a present element in this movie and you're like 
you you at least I forget how, like, like I think about it as like oh this was the thing that started in the eighties and went on in the nineties and then it kind of stopped and that's just not the reality of it at all. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Then then my final reasoning for why my own experience is a bit different is that my family, my own like, both my immediate family and also kind of my extended relatives are like incredibly liberal for devout Mormons. Like, <laughs> especially culturally growing up in Utah, like it's a pretty uh, staunchly conservative area, but my family was always pretty liberal and, you know, half of my family is from Canada. So there's this sense in my family of like downplaying some of the like worse aspects of Mormon doctrine, like the stuff, right. bad stuff that churches would just shove that aside be polite about it, be nicer about yeah, things. Just don't, don't talk. Fo- focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't focus on that and like be nice about things and be accepting. So like even, even when I was a little kid and I was like going to church every week and I was personally devout, my family and, and myself were always pro gay marriage in the sense of like, mm. well, you know, whatever our church thinks, like people who aren't members of our church should be able to get gay married, whatever. Like, why do, why should we dictate to them what to do? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just all of the sort of more unpleasant stuff, like the fact that the church didn't like gay people and stuff was just stuff we wouldn't really acknowledge or talk about. So, right, yeah. So my personal experience of like Mormon-style homophobia was very sort of downplayed and just ignored and yeah more polite and an emphasis on quote unquote (laughs) yeah yeah quote unquote and like an emphasis on more the like love the sin not the sinner style thing Mm, so like so like that's part of why this movie where people are a bit more direct and like uh mean in their homophobia kind of wasn't my wasn't my experience it rang a little bit false to me but like at the same time, watching it again, knowing that it comes from personal experience, I'm like, I can see how people I knew growing up, growing up, who I wasn't necessarily close to, might have acted like that towards their families, you know? Right, yeah. Like, it feels more plausible to me. Right. But, I mean, I also anyway. think uh, several of the characters, um, without getting too much into it, but uh, a lot of them are, like, younger guys. That's true. And I think that just makes sense to me in that that's i mean like in the noughties like guys that age like throwing slurs around was just very normal to me yeah yeah well and it's maybe especially... a bit younger but still and i was talking about this with some other of my like gay Mormon friends and one person pointed out to me that also like the fact that i was uh you know a girl and raised as a girl could also have made a difference because uh, Mormonism is kind of very gender segregated in a lot of ways. Mm. And apparently some of the more like male centric spaces, people have a tendency to use uh, more direct and more mean rhetoric than in the like female centered spaces where people tend to emphasize more being polite and just not acknowledging any of the bad things. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that could also be I can see how that it. would be. Yeah. I can see yeah. how that would be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. But Should we get into the plot? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone on enough. So yeah, this I took so many notes on this movie, and I'm going to try to, like, 
keep things moving because I know I can get uh, stuck very much on these topics since they're so personal. But uh, I just have some Christians for you. I'm just confused. Like half my notes have Christian marks behind them. That is absolutely um, fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we but yeah, should. Let's we get should, into it. We should say before, okay, this is the spoiler mark, so we're going to start discussing the actual plot now. If you want to go watch the movie, it's on Amazon. Like, if you get a subscription to the Deku service, you can just watch it for free or you can rent it or whatever. I, I subscribe to Deku because they have a ton of gay movies on there. So, mm. But anyway, we're going to discuss the plot now. Again, this is one that I don't... I think it actually is kind of a decent film in some ways. Like, it's not bad compared to a lot no, it's, of it's, it's, low-budget yeah. game movies. It's fine. Uh, so you can go watch it if you want. I don't think it's necessarily, like, uh, essential game movie viewing. So if you just want to listen no. to us talk about it, that's fine, too. <laughs> Up I to you, like is what I say. I mean, it's it's a rom-com with some dark themes. That's about it. Like, Yep, pretty much. Anyway, so the main characters are uh, Elder Aaron Davis from Pocatello, Idaho. He's the Mormon missionary lead. Uh, I just have to say here that what really amuses me is Aaron Davis is such a Mormon name. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I straight up, I had a bishop with the last name Davis when I was a kid. I went to school with so many boys named Aaron. It just, it's, <laughs> it's oh, that's such fun. a Mormon name. Anyway, yeah. and then uh, the other guy, uh, the other main character is named Christian Markelli, and he's like an L.A. party boy, already out gay, hooking up all the time type person. Yeah. So the opening is like there's a monologue from the uh, from Aaron, the missionary guy, about Los Angeles being disorienting. He's in a taxi, and he passes a guy holding a sign that says, Welcome to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny to me. Uh, then we see Christian hooking up with a guy uh, who turns out to have been at the wrong apartment. He was like going on a date with his neighbor, but came to this person and Christian was expecting a hookup. So he just, they just hooked up anyway. And then, yeah. And then realized yeah, it was, they were with the wrong person. You know, character establishing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, then we see Christian at a restaurant that he works at called Lila's where he's telling his coworkers about what had just happened, and we established that he keeps this, like, journal in, like, a Blackberry, this old 2000 mm. technology, uh, that, oh, like, yeah. where he keeps track of all his hookups. And uh, Christian has a roommate named Julie who wants to be a musician. All her other coworkers want to be, like, actors and stuff. Their boss, Lila, is, like, a classy middle-aged lady who also, like, participates in all their back-and-forth banter. Is, uh, is her accent transatlantic? Is that like what what she's going is. for? It is. Yeah, it is something like that. She's like very much trying to give off the impression of like an old school Hollywood classy lady, which would right. be like a mid-Atlantic accent affectation would be like right. kind of giving that uh giving that impression i think because i was like this is it's not it's not quite british so i'm assuming this is what it is oh yeah definitely old school hollywood yeah. uh then christian is like taking a plate to someone who's dining outside when aaron's taxi drives by and like pauses at a red light or something and they make eye contact very <laughs> meet cute yeah, this movie really believes in fate yeah 
Yeah, no, I'm going to get into that towards the end because mm. I have some complicated feelings about what this movie does yes. with fate and miracles. Yes. But <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> feel a little bit weird anyway, about but, it. <laughs> yeah, but this is the first instance of it. Yes. They see is... each other. Like, yep. on coincidence. Yep. Significant eye contact. Of course. Uh, then Christian goes to karaoke with his co-workers. The next day he has a hangover and he sees the missionaries moving in. There's four missionaries, so that's two uh, pairs of companions. Uh, Mormon missionaries always work in pairings called companionships. It's like one hmm. of the strict rules of uh, a Mormon mission. And they're like assigned by the mission president. So you don't choose your companion. You're assigned a companion. Right. Uh, and you're also assigned where to live and stuff. So these four guys have been assigned to live together in this apartment. And they're moving in together. Uh, so none of them would know each other beforehand. No. Uh, mm. Yeah, they're, they would be completely strangers or maybe acquaintances when they're assigned to be companions. Part of it will be would depend on how long they've been in the mission field. Because if they've mm. been in that area for a while, they'd know more people who have been in there that area for a while so they might be more likely to be assigned to someone they're at least acquaintances with but right. Aaron's completely new to this area he's just started his mission which makes him a, a greenie which is the like uh, slang term for a new missionary so he's assigned to someone as a companion who's more experienced who can like show him the ropes mm. you know but yeah so th these four guys uh, are moving into the new apartment one of them is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt <laughs> and he's oh yeah and and there's another one that's played by the guy who plays uh, mac in always sunny oh i totally didn't notice that but you're right i was like now staring at him like it. who is this oh which i thought yeah. was really funny that is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah joseph gordon lovett's character is one of the ones that the first time i watched this was like no fucking mm. way man but like yeah, again, watching it again, I'm like, oh, no, actually, I went to church with some guys like that. So, right, yeah. again, he's not representative of Mormons, but he's like some Mormons I've met. So, again, depending on how old he is, I don't think it's, you know, that unusual in general. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, at this point, so one of them uses the term greenie. So, like, they do use a lot of Mormon jargon in, in this movie. Uh, mm. Christian like goes to greet them as new neighbors and he brings them a six pack of beer which is funny because yeah Mormons don't drink <laughs> so they turn him down and uh, he's like surprised because he thought they were frat boys <laughs> and they, uh, at, he at didn't this, think about the shirts I guess no he was not not paying attention to their outfits so much uh, no but yeah, so some of the missionaries at this point are like casually making very early 2000s homophobic jokes and, and shit like that. Mm. Uh, one of them uses the word flippin' as a replacement swear. That That is accurate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Insider knowledge right here. It, yep, yep. <laughs> I, this is a... I, I'm gonna get soundtracked... I mean, sidetracked a lot in this, but uh, replacement swears actually really bother me <laughs> because I've been in some intense conversations with people where they've used replacement swears in like a context where it 
feels condescending and almost insulting. I'm like, if you're going to be that upset in this situation, at least have yeah. the decency to say the F word at me, like for real. Yeah. <laughs> but, That's a, you that know. just sounds really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but I anyway. Think the only people I know who use replacement swears have been like teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Mormons do it, man. Although yeah. at this, at this, it was definitely, especially more common when I was younger. I think mm. a lot of like Mormons of the younger generation are more comfortable with swearing. And right. me and my adult siblings swear enough that our parents have gotten used to it. <laughs> don't care, <laughs> don't care so much. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, it is, it's a pretty normal Mormon thing to not swear. The, uh, the one thing that's really specific to Mormons and not other types of Christians is because there are there are other sorts of more serious American Christians that won't say like bad words and stuff, but even then, mm. most people will say uh, God as a as like a interjection, and it's not really right. even yeah. considered a very bad swear word to most people, even Christians in America. Mormons, that is the worst one you can say. <laughs> you right. absolutely do not take the Lord's name in vain. Like a Mormon will say fuck before they say God <laughs> in like a swearing in that context. context. Yeah. Yeah. I, d- I wouldn't even think about that. Think of that as a swear, to be honest. Yeah. Most people Which wouldn't. Just, yeah. <laughs> nice. Very specific Mormon thing. Anyway. So right. back at, back at the restaurant again, you know, all the, all the LA coworkers are being bantery at each other some more constantly doing clever one-liners at each other. Uh, someone yeah. named they're Ben really calls. Yes, they're they're. It's genuinely fun dialogue. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But uh, someone named Ben calls for Lila, the boss, while they're cleaning up after closing, and uh, like people are like, "Oh, who could be calling her?" And Christian tells his coworkers about the Mormon missionaries, and uh, like after some banter, making fun of Mormons, they're like, "Oh, wouldn't it be funny if you converted them instead of them converting you?" So. <laughs> So they make a bet, and everyone's betting either for or against whether Christian will be able to seduce one of the Mormon missionaries. <laughs> yeah, I was like, is this going to be how to lose a guy in 10 days, but like, gay and Mormon? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so they want him to take the Mormon's quote-unquote sacred underwear as proof that he's hooked up with them. Uh, is, what is that, that? I don't... Okay, so that is an actual thing. Uh, okay, it, I... I... <laughs> although, it also tends to be like a joke that a lot of non-Mormons make. They're, they'll make right, jokes okay. about magic underwear. But, like, right. uh, what it actually is, is uh, they're called garments. And Mormons wear them after they go through a temple ceremony known as an endowment. Uh, mm-hmm. Which uh, So they're a sign of a person's covenant with God, basically. Uh, endowments yeah, are... Yeah, but it's a, it's, a speci- it's a specific type of underwear, right, uh, which right. actually is shown in the movie. You actually see what the in- garments look like later on. Oh, okay. Uh, but they're kind of like a, a like undershirt with short sleeves and like mid-thigh length, sort of almost boxer briefs, I guess. But like made out of right. like a kind of a nice fabric and stuff. Um, right, okay. That's part of why Mormons dress modestly is because you're not supposed to show your garments. So you're supposed to wear right. clothes that like cover them. Like 
Covet, yeah. Usually, endowments are something that people get um, usually as young adults because it's like a prerequisite. There's not like a set age at which you do it, but it's kind of a prerequisite for other things. So uh, for mm. going on a mission, you have to have your endowments. So that's why all of the missionaries have them because it's something you do before you go on a mission. Or for like women who aren't under as strict of rules to like you have to go on a mission because like all boys are strongly like encouraged to go on missions when they're 19 right women it's like you can or you can't uh like whatever feels right to you uh the you do. women the women's age for missionary work actually used to be 21 but uh when mm. i was 19 it was reduced to 19 like the boys are so girls can go on missions earlier now but it's still like generally it's seen as not as necessary especially because like women you're supposed to get married is what you're supposed to do <laughs> instead of right, going on a yeah. mission but boys are supposed to go on a mission and then get married and women are strongly encouraged to marry only returned missionaries so it's like a thing but but right, okay. uh you have to get your endowments before you can get married in the temple so that's why for women they often get their endowments before they get married but men often get it before they go on their mission uh, right, if you, okay. like, don't go on a mission and never get married, usually you'll do it in, like, your late 20s to early 30s because you're like, okay, well, if none of this other stuff is going to happen, I I might as well go do those. <laughs> so, <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I, never, I never got my endowments, so I never wore garments. Uh, hmm, I okay. I didn't go on a mission. I clearly didn't get married, so I just I just never. Oh, really? And then I left the church before. When in my mid twenties, so I I never I never got my endowments. Never anyway, reached that point. Never reached that point. Had no real desire to, honestly. <laughs> so I actually know a lot of girls my age because it was when I was nineteen that the age was reduced to nineteen. So right. a lot of my peers were immediately like, "Oh, we can go on missions now," and immediately went off and went on missions. And I was like, "No, nope." Nope, don't want to do that. <laughs> so, I did not. Where were you at at that point? I was uh, I was a sophomore in college, and I was still actually pretty devout in the church. Like, I was uh, still going to church every week. I read scriptures twice a day. Like, I was intense. Wow. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, okay, it was really weird, because they announced it at General Conference, and General Conference is like this um, big sort of church-wide meeting that they'll like broadcast on tv and stuff twice a year and right. that's when they make big like church-wide announcements and stuff so it was on yeah, a saturday I... it was a saturday morning conference so they do like four meetings for general conference two on saturday and two on sunday and it was the saturday morning one when they made this announcement and so i heard that but i had a a shift working at kfc in the afternoon so I, <laughs> so I wasn't planning on going to the afternoon one, but like at that point, cause I was 19, I was like, oh, well, I don't even have to think about going on a mission for another two years. So I was just like completely put that out of my mind. And then suddenly right. like seeing just the beginning of this conference, I was like, oh fuck. Now I have to think about this. I, <laughs> I cried walking to KFC for my shift, like the whole way there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It was intense. Because oh, <laughs> I was like, God, now I have to deal with this. I have to make this decision. Uh, that was a really bad year for me in general anyway. Right. <laughs> so that was, 
But yeah, I think I think part of why I cried that morning too was because uh, there was some part of me like I was very repressed and I was very good at being very repressed. I was very skilled at it. And mm. but but I think there was part of me in the back of my mind somewhere that knew like this was the beginning of the end in a way. Like I was like if yeah. I don't drop everything and go on a mission right now, I'm going to end up leaving the church one day. It's like, there was part of me that felt that. Right, so which, it, it, it felt like that was the decision. Yeah, like, yeah. That so it was, moment was the decision. It, it was an intense moment, you know? Right, but, yeah. Yeah, I didn't end up leaving the church for another, like, three years, but, <laughs> but it was the beginning of the long, the long descent yeah. away. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, so... Then, they make the bet. Yes, they make the bet. So a lot of people are betting either for or against whether Christian will be able to seduce one of the Mormons. And uh, then, like, later that night, Aaron is having trouble sleeping, and he looks out his window, and he sees Christian leading another hookup into his apartment. So he's like aware that Christian is gay and stuff. Not that Christian mm. really hides it. But... I mean, that's a pride flag outside his like building. So yeah, yeah. I'm really but, confused uh, about their housing situation. By the way, it, it looks way too nice. Oh yeah, there's. Like, I don't... Maybe the housing market was different in 2003. I don't know, but yeah, it's like it's, it's like one small of those... houses. Yeah, it's an apart it's an apartment complex that's essentially like small detached houses in LA, which definitely has to yeah. be super expensive. I don't know, man. I mean, that's the like if it wasn't in a big city, I would get it, but it's like what? Yeah, yeah. Well, since when do rom-coms have realistic housing situations? I mean, that's true. <laughs> so, it just felt like a choice. It definitely definitely seems like a choice. Anyway, so the next morning, Aaron is reading scriptures by himself out on the step. Uh, it looks like it's uh, a Book of Mormon, just like a standalone Book of Mormon. Uh, mm. Mormons have, like, several different scriptural setups. The most common one, I think, especially for missionaries, would actually be a quad, which has, uh, which is like a combination of uh, the Bible, so the Old Testament, New Testament, the Book of Mormon, um, the Pearl of Great Price, which is this small book of like uh, sort of random translations Joseph Smith did of some old texts. So there's like a there's like a new book of Moses and like this kind of weird right. stuff in the Pearl of Great Price. And then the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a book of some of the more modern revelations of Joseph Smith and some of the early church leaders. So that's 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 all that's in a quad. But it looks like what he has is just straight up just a Book of Mormon on its own hmm. that he's reading through, which I thought was slightly interesting. But uh, so he's, he's reading that and Julie and Christian both sort of like pass by cause he's outside reading on the stairs uh, of their like apartment complex. And uh, Julie introduces herself and basically invites the missionaries over to talk to her and Christian sometime to like give them a discussion about the church and stuff. <laughs> which because julie bet on christian to succeed so she's trying to get something to happen here because she wants to yeah. win the bet <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, back at work the waiters and the boss are talking shit about some actress who came to eat there uh the boss gets another call from this ben person they speculate that it might be a secret boyfriend 
uh, Christian overhears her on the phone saying something like, oh, I'm not ready to make that kind of decision yet, being really upset. So Christian guesses that Ben is a doctor and that she might be sick. Uh, mm. Back at Christian and Julie's apartment, uh, Aaron and his companion, who is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, are teaching a lesson about the restoration of the gospel through Joseph Smith. That was the standard first missionary lesson at the time. Uh, the whole missionary... Like an analog PowerPoint? Yeah, yeah. Just like a binder <laughs> full of like pictures and examples and stuff. That is extremely accurate. <laughs> I think oh, that was that literally... Like a, is that like part of your like kit or whatever? Yeah, I think that's literally part oh. of the kit for more missionaries at the time that you would everybody would carry these around. Uh, they huh. they did a major sort of overhaul of the whole missionary program when I was uh, like a teenager. So uh, these days, the discussions would be pretty different, but that was pretty accurate for what it was at the time. I hope uh, they've used like real PowerPoints now. <laughs> I think it's still mostly just pictures, but I think I think nowadays it's more like directed by what the um, what the investigators find interesting rather than being like mm. a set of like really like uh scripted lessons and stuff it's just right, more right. more sort of self-directed uh more but, natural maybe yeah yeah uh so at this point they like this is this is part of what i feel like is artistic liberties because mm -hmm. they get into several arguments here where julie and christian specifically bring up a lot of issues from the church that like uh in my experience, at least, when confronted with these sorts of things, most Mormons would not volunteer this kind of information and would try to redirect the mm. conversation and downplay and just right. be like, it's not a big deal. Because, like, specifically, you know, part of what it starts out with is Christian is like, oh, well, how come when God talks to Joseph Smith, he's a prophet, but if he speaks to me, I'm schizophrenic. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, well, Joseph Smith was kind of special, but to me, like... Actually, the more accurate Mormon response to that would be to say something like, well, God can speak to you. He just speaks to you through promptings of the Holy Ghost, which is a little different from the direct revelation of Joseph Smith. But God very much can speak to you. That would be like the proper Mormon yeah, party yeah, line to me. Yeah, that's still a redirect away from the direct question. Exactly, which is like, that's, yeah. that's my personal experience of Mormon rhetoric is that it involves a lot of redirection. Because, <laughs> mm. yeah, because then and, the next... And also, especially if you're trying to uh, convert someone, that makes exactly. a lot more sense. Exactly. Mormon missionaries especially are very strongly taught to be uh, non-confrontational and to not get into mm. arguments. Because you are, you are trying to convert people. You're not trying to, like, fight them. You're trying to be right. nice and polite to make them like you, you know? <laughs> yeah, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a very poor missionary. Yeah, he, he's such a bad missionary. That's like <laughs> watching this. I'm like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have been sent home way before Aaron was. Because <laughs> he's just a shit missionary. <laughs> very bad at it. <laughs> but, of course, Aaron doesn't do so great here either. Because the next thing is Julie, who's a black woman asks what the Mormon church's stance on black people is. And Aaron's response is, well, African-American members have been allowed to hold the priesthood since 1978. And that is true. But again, no Mormon would volunteer that information. Right, right, right. Out of no, right. we're not just going to tell you that. Because <laughs> it's embarrassing. That's what these days, yeah. most, most I mean, Mormons, I think, uh, just most sorry. Mormons aren't that directly racist. 
and they think it's a good mm. thing that African-American people can hold the priesthood. So, like, the focus here from a Mormon, if asked that, would be like, well, of course, black people are uh, wonderful children of God, and they can be full members of the church uh, next to anyone, because that is true now. But the Mormons right, you would focus on the current situation. Exactly. You're not going to volunteer that it only is since the 70s. <laughs> like, right. Even though it's yeah, true. I, 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 yeah, I feel like in general, no group would do that about themselves if exactly. they're trying to look good. Yeah, exactly. And like, I that's why I think it's it's a bit of creative liberties because I think the writer of the movie, I think Cox just really wanted, wanted to get that. Yeah, <laughs> he just yeah. really wanted that info in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> but which makes sense for for what the movie is. I mean. Yeah, yeah, because clearly. Uh, Cox is pretty critical of the Mormon church, which, again, I don't blame him for because I'm also right. pretty critical of the Mormon church. But, like, right. that's clear. he's clearly trying to paint a specific picture here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but then Christian asks, you know, like, what about women? And uh, JGL answers, you know, women don't get to hold the priesthood. What they get to be is wives and mothers and share in its blessings. And, again, like, that is actually true. Women don't aren't but. able to hold the priesthood, like, even still now. But again, the the specific rhetoric, like, the way he puts it, isn't really how Mormons would put it. Uh, growing up, there was always an emphasis, like, to me, and, like, being a woman and having this, like, whole thing sold to me as, like, how women are supposed to find it acceptable, is that, like, right. uh, women do have access to the power of the priesthood. It's just they have access to the power of the priesthood through the men in their lives. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like through heterosexual marriages and stuff. Like yeah. there's a member of the family that has the priesthood and the woman is like an equal holder of her husband's priesthood. It's right. a lot of... So it, it like, it's like the same idea as like if one wrote a family kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. a lot of like, uh, again, like minimizing and working around mm-hmm. and like trying to do all this like backflips to make it acceptable right. but so it's, it's not it, 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 instead of directly answering why can't women hold the priesthood they're saying oh but actually they can so yeah and probably they would also answer. and probably also they would emphasize how women can hold a lot of important like leadership roles in the church which is true mm. uh specifically especially in regards to the like big mormon organizations that are well, for women and children. So, like, there are women right. who are general authorities, which general authorities are, like, the most important offices in the church. It's just they're general authorities. They're, like, um, uh, the presidency that's in charge of the Relief Society, which is, like, the women's group, and in charge of the right. primary, which is for the kids. But women right. can't so be, like... this idea of, uh, like, divided uh, by gender... Exactly, but like still equal, which is mm. you know quote unquote, mm-hmm. which is mm. what which is what people would tend to emphasize. That's why I think like that's why I just think the emphasis is wrong. I don't think most Mormons would be like, oh, but women get to be wives and mothers like that directly, even though that is no. what it is the truth. It just is the directness of it is what feels kind of off to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Anyway, and then your Julie finally asks, what's your church's stance on gay rights? To which Joseph Gordon-Levitt responds, there's no such thing. Gay and right don't belong in the same sentence. God hates homos. 
<laughs> yeah, that's to get to a dramatic uh, like point in the story. Clearly, and not supposed to be accurate about anything. Yeah, yeah, and well, that because that... like even outside like this specific context, like very few people want to be that confrontational in that situation. Exactly. Like, that's not how most people act in general. Most people aren't gonna say that to someone's face, you know. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but especially, and if they were going to, they would have done it a lot earlier in the conversation. Yeah, that's so I'm like, especially Mormons and especially Mormon missionaries who are again trying to be polite right. and trying to get you to like them, and and especially because that has like even the church at its most homophobic has never been a God hates homos church. Like some right. uh, evangelical churches are like that. Like they do genuinely believe that. The, right, that's yeah. never been the Mormon line on it. Because the the sort of Mormonism very much emphasizes the love of God compared to other like evangelical churches that are like, oh, God is angry and vengeful or whatever. Mormonism is very much like God loves everyone and you're all his children. And if you're gay and leave the church, he'll be so sad that you like left and he just wants what's best for you. And he'll want you to come back because he's so sad that you're gone. Not that he's... the Mormon God oh, is not God, that rhetoric. The Mormon God isn't angry; he's just disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that's al- like that almost like is worse to me. Like that's it, it, rhetoric. Oh, uh, it. I. I'm not a fan of it, but it's more no, accurate to what Mormonism is. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, again, Mormonism is very much God loves everyone, hate the sin, not the sinner. We have to do everything in our in our power to make you convert to our church and to keep you from ever leaving. Like that's, it's very much like they're not going to chase you away because you're gay. They're going to try to save you because you're gay. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's just, it's just different. I think uh, part of it, part of that could also be uh, again, my particular upbringing as well in that uh, my liberal family tended to also emphasize the love more. Although that also Mm. was what I saw in the church, but also there were people that I knew like personally and like more conservative people might like, while not at church, like with their own families, be more openly homophobic and might be more like God hates homos type people in their families, probably not usually at church. Right. I also remember you mentioning how some people are influenced by uh, evangelical discourse. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of conservative Mormons really desperately want to be evangelicals. Like they so badly want evangelicals to love them and to like be exactly like conservative evangelicals. Even though right. evangelicals hate Mormons, evangelicals think Mormons right. are a crazy cult. <laughs> so just yeah, you know, <laughs> a bit of an unequal relationship there. The other the other thing is that uh, you know. In my experience growing up in church, like you, people wouldn't say stuff like God hates homos because they wouldn't even say like the word gay. Like they wouldn't say it. It's right, right, instead, right. Because that demises it in some ways. Yeah, and like it's inappropriate. And also like uh, right, it's right. like a bad word. And so in in church, people would always only ever talk about it like the um, the roundabout way Mormons would talk about it is they would talk about people who quote unquote struggled with same gender attraction. Right. So again, it's not something you are, it's something you struggle with. And also, right, like, right. 
part of why I, the specific Mormon version of it makes it so funny to me because like Mormons won't even say same sex attraction because sex is a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> oh god sex is a dirty word even if we're talking about it in the gender sense so you have to say same yeah. gender attraction and also it's a struggle and <laughs> it's not yeah. get, this so is actually i think the same rhetoric that like uh like conservative christian groups in, in, in denmark tend to use like this idea that oh of course we love all our members but we just need to help some people in their struggles and stuff yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, my, my experience growing up in Mormonism was avoidance, doublespeak, politeness, downplaying unpleasant things, never this sort of outright argumentativeness or, hope, like, right. direct homophobia. It's all, like, roundabout. Uh, anyway, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is just a shitty missionary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would have gotten in trouble for charging fights. To be fair, I think he doesn't start the movie off by being like, oh, I really don't want to be here. I just, I'm just going to be here so I can do my two years, then get married. It's actually a different guy who says that. Oh, that's, I, I, like, I couldn't keep track of these guys. I know, they're, they're, it's hard to keep track of them, but (laughs) they all all look alike. They're all the same. There's Aaron, and then there's the three other missionaries who are all the same person. Except that one of them is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> and another is Mac from Always Sunny. And another one is Mac from Always Sunny. Anyway, the point is, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a shitty missionary, but also <laughs> watching this again the second time, knowing that it was made from a Mormon perspective, I'm like, yeah, I, I knew guys like him growing up, so it's not necessarily yeah, so it's not inaccurate. It's, it's just, not that like he's inaccurate as a character, it's just maybe it's the wrong context. For that it's, sort of thing to be coming out. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's a it's clearly an intentional emphasis, and also like yeah, in right. that in that context, it doesn't necessarily make much sense. Uh, right. Anyway, at this point, yeah. Aaron tries to ease the tension by making a joke about how God hates French people. <laughs> Which it's so awkward. He's so awkward. It's very awkward, but also like. Okay, in the Mountain West, conservative Mountain West in 2003, two years after 9-11, this was the same era as, like, Freedom Fries instead of French Fries. Like, making a joke about hating French people, like, that actually checks out in context. That, yeah, that makes sense America to me. confuses me. It, 2003 was a weird time. <laughs> the Bush years, man, you don't... Oh, God. Anyway, Aaron still yeah. can't sleep. Later that night, again, Aaron still isn't able to sleep. He has a flashback to his family, like, saying goodbye to him at the airport when he left on his mission. His, his like, dad gives him this old pocket watch that's, like, a family heirloom and stuff. Um, the next morning, Aaron's doing laundry by himself in, like, the communal laundry room, which, uh, again, this is part of the uh, sort of creative liberties to me, is just how often Aaron and Christian end up alone together. Because, like, it's oh, one yeah, of the... Oh, yeah, that's fate. Yeah, but also it's, like, it's one of the really strict missionary rules that even gets mentioned in the movie that missionaries are not supposed to be alone ever. Like, part of the oh, reason right. why you have companionships is because you're supposed to be together 24-7 to keep an eye on each other. Like, it's it's intense. So the yeah. fact that he's without... Yeah. 
the fact that he's without his companion hanging out with Christian all the time, a bit of a bit of a stretch. Again, again, I think I think we're just going to go back to uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt being a, a bad missionary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's just he's just a bad mission companion. So yeah. Anyway, so Christian comes to talk to him. They talk about how Aaron's homesick. Christian makes a young Frankenstein reference, which Aaron finds funny, which I do just have to mention. Mormons do love young Frankenstein. That is a true fact. <laughs> Everyone I, I knew. Know what it is. Oh, it's an old it's an old Mel Mel Gibson movie. That ah, was like okay. a it's like a black and white humorous like making fun of Frankenstein type stories kind of thing. Right. So so spaceballs but horror. Yeah, and cleaner. Uh Okay. Yeah. Uh but yeah, like tons of Mormons I knew growing up love Young Frankenstein. My dad got really upset <laughs> when it like you can't buy it on DVD anymore because of some weird copyright things. It's hard to track down. Mm. But anyway, then Aaron makes a psycho reference which Christian gets, which is a, a little bit more of a stretch. I think a lot of Mormons wouldn't watch Psycho, but again, like there's there's some Mormons that are weird about watching R-rated movies, and other Mormons who don't give a fuck at all. So like, right, it varies. <laughs> Although his family does seem like the type who would care. Yeah, they seem like the more intense type, but I don't know, right. who knows. Uh, they talk about the various rules of being on a mission, like not being able to call your family, being assigned a companion, not using first names, like. Christian thinks they're all named Elmer, but it's just, it's Elder <laughs> is like the title that they have. It's like, uh, Elder what? is, Elder is a rank in the priesthood. So all, mm. uh, missionaries, like male missionaries have to be, uh, given the rank of an elder before they can go on their mission, which involves like a blessing and stuff. Cause you have to get that level of the priesthood. Uh, so yeah, they're all called Elder, their last name. Girl missionaries. Why is it not allowed? To use I, the names is what because <laughs> it's because you know it's supposed to be like a serious like formal type of relationship, and you're like there representing. Oh, so you the can church. only use your surname. Yeah, yeah, you're there representing right, the church okay. in, rather than being like yourself as an individual. So that's why you use elder last name instead of your first right, name. Okay. Uh, for girl missionaries, it would be actually sister whatever because again, girls can't hold the priesthood, so they can't have. The rank of an elder, just mm. sister, whatever. Okay, this is a random tangent again. I'm sorry to do this, but there actually, <laughs> there actually was a big movement when I was in college of people trying to get women to have the priesthood. Like there was a big sort of like feminist movement to like ordain women. I was never like really a part of it or that invested in it because personally, I didn't want it. <laughs> Right. I was like, because it comes with a lot of responsibility and like intensity that I was like, I don't, I was like glad I didn't have to deal with any of that. I'm like, I don't, right, I don't yeah. want it. The boys can keep it. But <laughs> 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 like ideologically, I get, I get it, but also I don't want it. <laughs> it's also the sort of thing like you're expected to, to get, right? Yeah. Because again, it's, if As you're a, a boy, if you're, if you're a guy, it's not optional. Right. It's, yeah. You, so you in gotta advocating do for that, you would also make it not optional. Yeah, it's like wanting Inferiorly. women to. It's like wanting women to be included in the draft. You know. It's like... Right. Exactly. Yeah, that was what I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't want it's like that. You have to focus in the wrong place, maybe. Yeah. 
But that that movement never really got anywhere anyway, and all of the leaders of the movement were excommunicated. So, <laughs> oh damn, it was intense. <laughs> I mean, that's a, I mean that's an easy way to get out like <laughs> get out of like listening to dissent is just like excommunicating them. Yeah, I mean, that tends to be how it goes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mormonism is very hierarchical, so if you try to advocate for anything outside of, like, your official role in the hierarchy, it's not going to go well. Um, right. Anyway, uh, at this point, uh, Aaron makes a joke about, like, prophecy, that, like, it's been dictated by prophecy that he has to do everyone's laundry. And Christian is like, what? And Aaron's like, psych! Because, <laughs> obviously, that is so not a thing. Right. <laughs> but it's like you're way too easy to like make fun of but then christian's like oh so i've heard and aaron's like okay bye <laughs> so not comfortable with that <laughs> yeah nope nope <laughs> no thank you <laughs> so then he's yes, gonna to... leave now so yeah so then this is the conversation where he talks to one of the missionaries about how difficult it is being a missionary i think it might be mac from sunny from always sunny or it's, it's yeah. not joseph gordon levitt anyway so he, like, talks about how he used to pray during the night that he would die so that he wouldn't have to wake up to another day of this. And that... Damn, yeah. That actually does ring true to me. I know multiple people who had to return home early from missions for, like, mental health reasons who got, like, genuinely really suicidal on their missions. And <laughs> I mean, it's it makes sense if you're not allowed to contact anyone you know. If you're constantly together with someone you might not even get along with, like... Plus it it's actually really plus, plus it's really hard work with like uh people who mostly don't want you to be there like getting a lot mm, of doors yeah. slammed in your face uh and right. like physically it's really demanding and then yeah you're not allowed to like even like do any leisure activities like you're not allowed to watch movies or listen to music or like do anything and yeah you're not allowed to contact your family except on Christmas and uh Mother's Day are the only days you get to call your family. Um, yeah. You can you can email back and forth with your family. You just can't call oh, them okay. or, like, visit them. So it's not, like, no contact at all, but it's still, like, oh, okay. pretty it's rough. It's still intense, yeah. And, it, and this is, again, this is, like, 19-year-olds who have never been away from their family before. Yeah, yeah. But, like... It, it, I, I wonder, like... I mean, I can see some of the reasons why you do this, I guess, but it just seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot a bit by making it this intense. Yeah, I agree. Like, part of the rhetoric of it in Mormonism is always that it's, like, intended to be hard because, um, like, it's like a gauntlet that will make you stronger. And, mm -hmm. you know, because you're doing God's work, God will be with you and he'll make you able to rise to the challenge and stuff. So there's very much a sense that, like, if you do end up going home for, for mental health reasons, it's, like, seen as, like, a hugely embarrassing failure because, like, you weren't righteous enough for God to help you through it, you know? Like, yeah, it's... There's a lot of intensity I mean, around... I really hate, like, setting up an arbitrary challenge and then acting like, like it's inevitable or, like, like, there's any reason for going through it this way. Yeah, like you're yeah. choosing, you're choosing to set it up to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way, you know. Yeah, well, and this comes up later in the movie, but it really is a very accurate thing in Mormonism that it's a very there's a lot of social ostracization and a lot of social pressure 
to mm-hmm. go on a mission. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go on a mission or if you return home early from a mission, it really is seen as super embarrassing. And like, uh, and it actually can like cause you problems in your life too, because like I said, women are in the church are encouraged to, to only date and only marry returned missionaries. So it can harm your mm. like romantic prospects, but also like straight up, there are people in Utah, especially in Utah County, which is like the most intense conservative Mormon area in Utah, like way more than Salt Lake. Uh, like sometimes people who like employers and landlords will discriminate against you if you're not a are returned they allowed missionary. to look at that? Not technically, but they do anyway. Like, like just into church records or? Well, no, they'll ask about it. Right. <laughs> and if you don't answer, that's an answer in itself. I exactly. Guess. Exactly. Right. Right. Like yeah. my, my brother lives, my brother, my older brother didn't like return. Like he, he came home early from his mission for mental health reasons. And like, he gets asked about it. Like he's been asked about it by his landlord, which Jesus. Is like and had to like explain himself to his landlord. It's really shitty. What the fuck? Which, yeah. Which shout out to my brother if he's listening to this because he also does our audio engineering. He's a he's a cool guy. <laughs> he deserves yeah. better than to be treated shitty by landlords. But... Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Guillotine landlords, by the way. Yeah. Honestly. Anyway. It's so... fucked up that there's not like let legislation against that. Well, yeah, it's just uh, Utah has shitty protections for uh, renters. There's like nothing. There's no tenants protections in Utah. It's a shit Mm. state that I live in. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, yeah, again, in in this part, uh, he this guy, he talks about how uh, he couldn't stand to go home to his family because, again, it would be so embarrassing, especially because he says there were two general authorities at his farewell which again, general authorities are like the highest ranked people in the church. And uh, a farewell is like a party that Mormons throw for people leaving on their missions. So the fact that general authorities would have come to his like goodbye party for going on his mission makes it, makes it so it would be extra embarrassing if he went home. Mm. A funny, a funny little tidbit here just from the subtitles. Cause I watch all movies with subtitles on this is, there's a couple instances uh, where Clearly, the person writing the subtitles didn't know Mormon jargon and got things wrong. <laughs> this is one instance of that, because the guy says, like, oh, well, you know what it's like, because your dad is the stake president. And the subtitles put it as state president, <laughs> which the mm. stake president is like a regional leader in charge of like a stake, which a stake is like a region of the church that's like slightly bigger than wards and wards are like congregations. So a stake is made up of multiple wards and then the stake president is in charge of that whole region. So it's like not, not high enough to be a general authority, but a pretty high rank. And uh, so again, it would be embarrassing if, if Aaron, the main character returned home because his dad's a stake president, a state president is nothing. There aren't presidents of states. (laughs) 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 That doesn't mean anything. Would it be something like a bishop or something? Yeah, except a bishop in Mormonism is in charge of a ward. So a bishop is lower ranked than a stake president. But in other other sects where like a bishop is in charge of like a diocese or whatever, like a bigger region, then yeah, yeah, that would be... Yeah, I'm explaining those words. 
Yeah. yeah, that would be more an equivalent rank, even though bishops are lower right. ranked in Mormonism. <laughs> yeah. Mormons just do their own shit. I don't know, man. This one's a bit different. <laughs> I don't know. It's, yeah, just some weird stuff. Anyway, so okay. yeah. So they, uh, they talk about how it's designed to be hard. And then, okay, this part, again, is straight up just an artistic liberty in order to make a cheap joke. Because he says, like, oh, you know, this is designed to be hard. We're not even allowed to be alone ever. It's like, we're like 19, 20 years old, and we're not even allowed to beat off. And it's like, that's true for all Mormons. That's not just true for, <laughs> that's not just right. true for Mormons on their missions. It's not like, oh, it's really hard because we're on our missions and we can't beat off on our missions. You're not supposed to do that anyway. <laughs> it's like right. a very forbidden thing in Mormonism, no matter what. Like, any sex or sexual related thing is marriage only for Mormons. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he says basically he's only putting in his time here so he can go home and marry his girlfriend and finally have sex. And it's amazing what we'll do for sex. And that, that is plausible. I think that a young Mormon guy would say that. Cause again, it is, yeah, that is, yeah. that is somewhat true. How Mormon women, are encouraged to marry return missionaries, so there is pressure to finish your mission in order to go get married and then be able to have sex. So, what? yeah, that's whatever. Uh, At this point, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Aaron go play two-on-two basketball with Christian and Julie, which this must be on there. Like, like JGL mentions how, like, oh, I only have one afternoon where I can play basketball and be like a normal person, so I want to play basketball, which that is true. It's called, like, P-Day. It's like their preparation day. That's the only day when Mormon missionaries are, like, off the clock, basically, and can do stuff like play basketball and do their laundry and stuff. Uh, Is that once a week? Once a week, yep. Uh, Like on the Sabbath? It it varies, I think. Uh, I think specific companions are assigned a different day off. So, yeah. Okay, is is the Sabbath not a big thing in Mormonism, or...? It is, but for a missionary specifically, because it's like a religious Right, so job, you're allowed to do work if it's God's work or whatever. Yeah, it's the the Sabbath day would be a big day for missionaries, because, yeah, you got to go to church and then probably also go visit members of the ward, maybe have dinner with mm. some members of the ward. Like, it's it's not really... And you're not supposed to do things like your laundry and stuff on the Sabbath necessarily, because that kind of mm. is work. So like, right. okay. it's, yeah. it's weird anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And also Mormons do love basketball. Mormon, church, <laughs> Mormon churches all have basketball courts in them and they do like church leagues and stuff. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's very specific. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's just have like scouts. I played church basketball as a kid. No, uh, Mormon churches also do scouts, but we just also right. also do basketball. Mormons do a lot of stuff. If you're a Mormon, <laughs> you're at church like multiple days out of the week. It's an intense religion, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, so later Aaron's studying outside by himself again with, uh, and Christian comes up to him. Or actually Christian is like trying to get a piece of mail that he dropped and he, like, snags his hip on, like, a hose hook, like a hook that a hose is wound around. And this is, again, such a funny and contrived scene. Because, yeah, he, get, he gets yes. a cut on basically, on the side of his hip, basically his butt. 
hand. Yeah, on his butt. Yeah, on his butt. He he uh, sees the blood and he passes out. And yeah. Aaron tries Again, to help so him. So fanficy. It's so ridiculous. Aaron tries to call yeah. for actually tries to call for his companion to come give him a hand, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like asleep and the other missionaries aren't paying attention. So uh, he ends up going into Christian's apartment by himself, which again, this is a big no-no for missionaries. That's like a big, you're not supposed to be alone with uh, with investigators. Uh, and then Christian asks him to like look at it to see if he needs stitching or something. <laughs> so he pulls down his pants so Aaron can look at the cut and he's wearing some like really goofy, sexy underwear that shows his just shows off his whole butt. And <laughs> so Aaron like gets up close to like to examine his butt and cleans the wound a little and puts a band-aid on it and gives this really weird monologue about having watched a heart surgery when he was a kid. Yeah, I was I was like this guy is already freaked out by blood. Like why are you talking about surgery? I feel like maybe so gross. I feel like maybe he was just trying to distract him from the pain yeah. with like some weird story, and that was what came to came to his head. But I don't know. <laughs> but I feel like the pain wasn't a problem. The fact he's scared of blood or whatever was the problem. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, then Aaron is like, uh, Aaron like helps Christian to his bed, and Christian's like complaining about being hot and takes his shirt off. <laughs> and Aaron's like, oh, he I'll takes go. his shirt off a lot. Yeah, he did. I'll go get a cool cloth to help you cool down and like starts wiping. A very normal thing to do. Yes. (laughs) Extremely normal. Not at all weird. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not at all weird when Christian starts like pulling his hand down to like his, where his crotch is. And like, uh, like they have this intense moment and like seem like they're going to kiss. But then Aaron like dodges the kiss and goes in for a hug instead and is like, oh, I have, I've ne- I haven't done anything like this. And Christian is like, well, it's okay. It doesn't have to mean anything. It can just be some harmless fun before between friends. And Aaron's like, my first time could just be a little fun for you. And gets like really mad mm, about it. Mm. Which like Christian is like, again, he hooks up all the time. He doesn't see this as a big deal. From like a Mormon perspective, especially a Mormon missionary perspective, there are so many reasons why that is a very, very big deal. So right. like... It makes sense to me that Aaron would be really upset by that. You could you could just feel like him saying that and like, like just immediately like oh that was You're the, like oh like, no exactly oh, no. wrong thing to say yeah. like oh no he should not have said that. But yeah, no. so they get into a fight and uh, like Aaron says some mean things and Christian's like don't judge me and but Aaron's like you found out my worst secret and I'm humiliated so your work here is done okay you don't have to like do anything else like you got what you wanted. You humiliated me by revealing the fact that I'm gay or whatever, and it's like, uh, and like he's like Christian keeps saying this stuff, trying to downplay it and like treating Aaron like he's kind of ridiculous. And Aaron's like, well, mm. like I know you see me as ridiculous. I know you see me as like this stupid goody two shoes, whatever, embarrassing piece of shit person who doesn't know anything. Cause like, yeah, like that. I I felt I actually relate to Aaron a lot in this. <laughs> Because I definitely know that feeling when you've grown up in like this sort of sheltered, highly Christian environment and you're like dealing with people who don't have that cultural context, who all seem like so cool and worldly. It can be really embarrassing. <laughs> you're like, I know right, I don't know yeah. shit, but like you don't have to treat me like I'm I'm a little kid who doesn't know shit, even though I don't know shit. So like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
embarrassing situation to be in. But yeah, yeah. But at I, this... I've, I've, I think the other thing I noticed in that scene was just like, um, like because it's, it gets treated by the narrative like it's a fair critique somehow. Like um, that um, Aaron says, "Oh, everything about you is skin deep, and you don't really care about anything." And you know, yeah. I, I, I like. I don't feel like they have established the two characters knowing each other well enough that he can really say this with any merit. It's true. Yeah. Like it, it it feels like a weird insult. It's just oh, you had too much sex, so you must not care about anything. And it's like mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think Aaron is definitely being a bit unfair here too. Where he yeah he does call him like super shallow and is like there's nothing about you that's not skin deep and like. They they have this weird back and forth of like, don't you believe in anything? And like clearly Christian doesn't really believe in much of anything. And but this like this whole exchange seems to have shaken Christian as much as it shakes Aaron, because yeah, it does take it weirdly seriously, the critiques of Christian. And uh, Yeah, that's Christian is like, that's what annoys me a bit because I feel like the narrative is taking it seriously or like is treating it as a more fair thing that it is in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's because it the, the narrative is very invested in Aaron and Christian having these sort of um, parallel existential crises. You know, Aaron mm. freaking out about being gay and Christian freaking out about being shallow. But it's not, mm. it doesn't really earn it in exactly. a way that yeah, it, feels... They want to get to that place, but they don't really, yeah, get there organically. Yeah, yeah. Which, interestingly, uh, reading some interviews with the, with the writer, he sees Aaron and Christian as being both aspects of himself. Huh. Like, that are, like, that are the two different, like, competing aspects of himself. The, like, raised Mormon I mean, kid that makes sense. version of him and the move to L.A. and became, like, a, a Hollywood guy half of himself, you know? Mm. So, that's probably why he was so, uh, like, confident doing this, writing this parallel, even though it, like, from a viewer's perspective, maybe doesn't necessarily feel fully earned. Yeah, and I also think um, the way it came across to me was a bit, you know, this thing me, uh, fiction often does with equating casual sex with meaningless uh like with you having no meaning in your life or like you're going through something difficult or whatever. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be that deep. Like, it, and I think if it, if it comes from that personal place in my, it, it, you know, maybe it's having grown up and then we, uh, you are going to have complicated feelings about casual sex, I would imagine. Oh, definitely. Um, so, so I think that's all also like informed by his perspective and it just, falls into that broader cultural narrative about it? Again, I think, yeah, it falls into how a lot of the aspects of this movie that feel weird feel weird, I think, specifically because this is an incredibly specific and personal narrative that's being presented mm. in a way where it wants the audience to see it as more universal than it is. Right, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so they're both having these existential crises now. Uh, Christian asks his co-workers if they believe in God and they all have various like different beliefs and things but they warn him against listening to the Mormons too much uh, one of them mentions conversion therapy and yeah 
so at one point Christian's like, I'm not shallow, am I? And one of the other people says, you don't have to be deep. You just have to be pretty. So that like <laughs> basically reaffirms his fears. So he's going to try to be deep now. He's going to go with his coworker to do some volunteering so he can prove that he's not shallow. Uh, meanwhile, Aaron and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are going tracting. That's um, what like the official Mormon jargon terminology is for like just knocking door to door and talking to random strangers mm. rather than like doing discussions and stuff with people who you've already met. Um, so the, the group Christian and then the group Christian is volunteering with, cause we skip back to him again is uh, like a charity that delivers food to advanced AIDS patients. So the guy he delivers food to is like this uh, guy who's again, a pretty advanced AIDS patient and uh, like he'd like intentionally freak Christian out by acting even sicker than he is and like doing a weird psychic reading on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy is like very sort of dry and cynical and bitter, which I, he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. He's just he's really, really like, oh, I, I was a bit, I was a bit uh, scared that it was going to be like, like quote unquote inspirational, yeah. Uh, because that felt a bit like where they were going uh, in yeah. the first scene. Yeah. But he like he props up again, so it's it's a lot more organic than that. Uh, and it it still like, is a little bit like oh look yeah. at this special sick person, but also it, right. like he is kind of a good character in his own right as well. So yeah. I and it's know. also like a reflection of the time. I like like it it. it gets this community um like I, f- I think it's a good way to to show that you know christian is deeper than that because he is part of this community and does care about that exactly uh, yeah. this was a thing that was going on at the time so i think it, it makes a lot of sense to include it it's just you know a, a few of the decisions are perhaps a bit questionable but i think it works overall yeah it's like all of this you have to remember is being told through a weird rom-com type lens so some of the some of the stuff that some of the more ambitious elements of the story don't necessarily land entirely because it just yeah it's just not quite capable of getting there with the tone of what the film is yeah exactly that's some tonal problems in the movie I think yeah for sure but anyway the psychic reading that he does on him is like he says he sees all snow is like it's the only thing he sees from him, which uh, takes on new meaning later on. At this point, it's you're supposed to take it as like, oh, he's just shallow and empty. So all he's got inside of him is snow. But like there's yeah. deeper meanings behind that. Um, OK, now we get to a part that is one of the parts that bugs me the most watching this from a Mormon <laughs> perspective. It makes me so mad <laughs> because, again, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is such a shitty Mormon, as well as a shitty missionary. <laughs> yeah. He's bad at being a Mormon. Because, <laughs> like, again, they're, they're, like, riding their bikes. Aaron and JGL are riding their bikes toward, like, past this medical clinic. And Aaron pauses, and he's like, oh, we should go in here. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're going to go. I don't want to do this. If you're going to go in, you're going to go by yourself. Which, again, is like a, that's a, against the rules but also like from a mormon perspective like mormons are obsessed with the concept of getting promptings from the holy ghost like you're supposed to have like the holy ghost as your like constant companion like personally and if you have any sudden feelings out of nowhere to go do something 
like you're supposed you got to do that because that's god telling right. you to do so that you're supposed to trust your instinct yeah especially especially yeah. on a mission because the types of stories people tell about their missions once they get home like at testimony meetings or whatever when they're telling these great stories about how their mission like improved their faith or whatever the stories they're telling is like and then i had a feeling that i was supposed to go here and then i met this person and i converted them and it was the best thing ever like so if on a mission <laughs> if your companion is like hmm, i feel like we should go to this place you would be like 100 percent on board you'd be like yes that is god telling us to do that and we are going <laughs> to do that right now so which which again is also part of why i feel really weird about some of the like miracle and fate aspects of this movie because it is a very sort of mormon concept of fate like the it's again it's weird that joseph gordon levitt doesn't see this as a prompting from the spirit and doesn't go with him but it's also mm. weird that the narrative itself is definitely framing this as a prompting from the spirit like the narrative thinks yeah, that God yeah. is telling him to go do this. Which I yeah. think, it, I feel weird about that. But... <laughs> yeah, again, okay. the, the, the narrative is definitely a religious narrative. Yeah. Like, as much as the, it's critical of the church, it also believes in faith and believes in, in uh, promptings and uh, these and this, things. And this is something I plan to get into. This is something I plan to get into more on the end. Uh, mm. But, like, it's just weird to me that it, like, is such, not just that it's such a religious narrative, but that it's such a specifically Mormon religious narrative against the Mormon church. And, like, there's a yeah. sense not only that God wants Aaron to be gay and to leave the church, but that specifically the Mormon God wants Aaron to be gay and leave the church. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, cause it's, again, it's a very Mormon form of fate, which right. I, I, anyway... I'll get into my own feelings about that later on. I mean, I'm sure uh, I'm sure the, the writer is per trying to uh, reconcile some things. Yeah, definitely. Which, like, I don't know. Anyway, later. Yeah. Putting yeah, a pin in that conversation. Uh, so at this point, yeah, he goes into the medical clinic to, like, leave some pamphlets or whatever. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt stays outside. And then uh, when he comes outside, he sees... Uh, when Aaron comes back outside, he sees lila crying on a bench and so he ends up sitting next to her and asking her like what's going on and tries to comfort her and stuff and she mentions how uh her best friend just died and she had to make the decision to take him off of life support and stuff and ben was actually her friend's doctor so she was never sick it was her friend who was sick mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's implied that he was an aids patient yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah, it's not, that's definitely the impression I get. Yeah, it's not stated outright, but it's the implication. Um, Aaron ends up delivering this whole speech that essentially boils down to like, well, everything must make sense from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. This stuff about like newspaper comics and like the little print dots that if you look up to them closely, they don't make any sense. But if you like hold it far away, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I was worried, like, please don't go in and talk to a person you don't know who's grieving about religious concepts like you don't like it's really insulting if they're not religious oh it definitely I, I mean, is like, like i i think some of this is like a cultural difference just in like that's 
I think it's a bigger taboo in my culture than in in like Amer- like general American culture, but it's like just in general like it's very presumptuous. It is very presumptuous, and again, but but it like from a Mormon perspective, it would this would seem like a golden opportunity. Like this is where you're gonna convert someone is when they're mm. vulnerable like this. So again, that's yeah. again part of why I feel weird about it because like this definitely to a Mormon missionary would be like great opportunity but we're supposed to think that the mormon church is bad in this narrative so it's weird it's weird uh (laughs) yeah because he's not trying to convert her he's just like oh i'm just going to be a nice person and have a conversation with you but he's doing a very missionary thing by doing that yeah but it's not treated as yeah yeah that's why i think it's weird uh yeah but then she and, and I mean, it's also weird that she really, really likes it. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> she's on board, which again would be proof that, from a Mormon perspective, that God definitely told him to do this because it works out well. So yeah, like I was, I was waiting for her to get angry at him for like it's, it's trying to convert her while she was vulnerable. Like I thought that was where we were going with this, but no, no. she was into it. Uh, she wasn't converted, but she was like comforted, and uh, yeah. which from a Mormon perspective, would be seen as a win anyway. Because, like, even if you don't convert her right then, you're like, well, now she has a better impression of the church, and maybe years down the line she'll be converted, you know? But, uh... Right. uh, She invites Aaron to come see her at uh, her restaurant, says she'll give him a drink on her, and he's like, oh, we don't drink. It's like, okay, well, we'll have a meal on me then. So, Mm. uh, then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, like, when he goes back to meet his companion, is like, so did you have fun talking to the crying lady? Like, I did actually. Good, so we missed lunch. So he's really mad about it. Again, just really shitty missionary and a really shitty Mormon because <laughs> because a missionary yeah. would be like, hell yeah, we got to go talk to all the crying ladies. That's what we, that's the <laughs> best thing we can do. That's what like, we're doing today. That's, God has led us to talk to crying ladies. And that is, <laughs> anyway. That's our purpose. So later, Aaron and Christian run into each other in the laundry room again. And it's like tense. Christian is, like, trying to show off the fact that he's volunteering. He's, like, clear. he clearly is desperate for Aaron to admit he's not shallow. <laughs> but Aaron isn't particularly yeah, yeah. impressed. And they bicker again. And uh, there's the whole exchange where Christian's like, people treat me like, oh, like you're perfect. Well, sometimes, but you're the first person who's made <laughs> me feel like that's, maybe that's not enough. <laughs> maybe I want to be something I feel more. Like- I feel like Kristen is really carrying this movie. Like he's so fun. He he is. He's he's good. So, but yeah. But he's like. So I just thought that, and it's like, what? Look, whatever you thought, don't. Because like Christian, at this point, Christian is clearly like interested in more than just because of the bet. But Aaron right, is still yeah. like not having it. Um, so both men go about their lives being all pensive and angsty, uh, <laughs> doing their normal activities. Yes, you know their normal activities being studying the Book of Mormon and hooking up with random guys, <laughs> the two things that they do. <laughs> uh, Christian at this point tries to have an actual conversation with one of his hookups, like get to know him, and it does not go well. The other guy's I like, that's hate so weird. That trope. It's a bit, it's, I yeah, really, it's not great. I really hate that trope because I'm like, this... <laughs> Everyone knows that's not how it works. Like, yeah. Like, he would try to get a date. Yeah. Like, no. he would not suddenly try to turn a hookup into a date. And, uh, I don't know. Yeah, this movie is very 
weirdly judgmental of like gay culture and hookups. In right, general. that's that's what it comes across to me as because you know it's it's a way of framing uh, of framing the whole thing as shallow and framing this community as shallow when you're choosing to look at something that's supposed to be this certain way so it makes sense that people react negatively when you bring stuff into it that's not really part of the social code of that but again if you just try to get a date it would be fine like yeah there are gay guys in LA who date each other normally and don't just hook up if that's what you want I don't know it's it's (laughs) It's again, it's one of the problems of it trying to make a specific story into a universal. Yeah. But, uh, and which... I mean, it's a way to make a dramatic point without actually taking the time to organically get there. Exactly, yeah. Anyway, and then uh, Christian delivers a meal to the AIDS patient again, which I, I never caught his name. I don't know if you ever caught his name. I feel bad just no. calling him the AIDS patient, but I don't know if they give him a name. But... Anyway, this time Christian actually sits down with him and talks to him for a while. They have really fun banter. I really like yeah, their back and yeah. forth. It's a good time. It's like, at one point, Christian's like, yeah, you're dying and bitter, blah, blah, blah. Luckily, I'm shallow, so I'm impervious to that. Impervious? I bet you don't even know how to spell that. Sure I do. It's spelled bite me. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I love them. <laughs> it's really and, fun. And I mean, I think what I really liked about this movie uh is the like that there are like gay side characters and it's not just like the main couple. It's uh, true, yeah. There's, there's this guy and then there's also one of the other waiters uh, who is the friend who like who he's volunteering uh, with or like yeah he's something inside uh, like in the leadership of the volunteering stuff I think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you get the sense that he's you know part of a broader community. Even if it's being, like, weirdly kind of judgmental of that broader community, it's still nice that there's that community there. Yeah. Yeah, again, it feels like a conflicted narrative in that sense. It, it feels like... like it, it... Yeah, it feels like almost it wants to be, like, critical of L.A. specifically, not necessarily gay culture in general. But, again, right. like, not everyone in L.A. is going to be the same, so it's kind of weird. Right. But, again, but, I mean, also not I... all... Not all Mormons are the same, so it also was kind of weird on that perspective too. So who knows? Yeah, I, I think the friend is called Andrew or something. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is his yeah. friend's name. But he's—I mean, I think he's presented as something, someone admirable, and um, you know, the whole the whole uh, volunteer program is presented as admirable. So it's again, it's a conflicted narrative and this specific thing is presented as a positive aspect of the community. That's true. That is true. Anyway, so now Aaron is returning to the apartment late at night. Again, we got another time skip. He's carrying two bikes with him and is like clearly rattled. So he like Christian runs up and is like, Oh, are you okay? And it finds out that there's been an accident. So they were both kind of like hit by cars while they were on their bikes. And uh, Aaron got away without being very hurt but joseph gordon levitt got hit by a car so he like is saying something vaguely about him like being taken to a hospital and like there is like clearly really freaked out and blaming himself for the accident and stuff and uh christian like tries like brings him into his apartment into aaron's apartment the missionary's apartment that's important yeah and uh they're clearly having like a moment while while aaron is vulnerable here and christian is kind of almost weakly like oh you're in no position and i should go 
but then they end up kissing and making out anyway. Which uh, is extremely tonally weird again. It's so weird. Again, it's... Like, like, it's not a sexy moment. Like, it's... He's really upset about his semi-friend getting hurt and, like, feeling guilty about it. Like, this is not the time. Like, yeah, it's... And again, they're in the missionary's apartment. <laughs> like, yeah, you feel like he would be conscious of that, you know? Yeah, it's just... It's, again, some of the weird rom-com contrivances of this plot that, like, for the plot to yeah, move on, and... they need them to get caught kissing now, so they're going to do that. Yeah, and again, the, I, I think like the tonal inconsistency annoys me more than the contrivance because the, I mean the contrivance, whatever I can put up with that, but just like, like it has to emotionally make a bit more sense than this. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, weird stuff. So then the of course the other three missionaries come in. Joseph Gordon-Levitt has his like arm in a sling, but he's not like dead in the hospital or anything. And they're like, what yeah, the... Yeah, he must kind of come back really, really quick. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so the other three missionaries see them kissing. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, oh, gross! <laughs> he, he does a homophobia, yeah. He does a homophobia. Christian tries to defend Aaron. It's like, oh, nothing happened. And it's like, well, we saw it happening. And But Christian is still, like, being defensive. And it's like, guys, don't blow this out of proportion. It's not that big of a deal. And Aaron who's just kind of been standing there since they got caught, is like, yeah, it kind of is. Please just go. Mm. It's like, yeah. you do not have the, you don't have the perspective here. It yeah. is that big of a deal. Yeah. Just, just, you gotta go now. So the next shot is Aaron with like his bags in tow being accompanied by several of the other missionaries to get into a car. And then the next day, Christian goes to try to find Aaron, but he's not there. Uh, so he like, kind of threatens to beat up Joseph Gordon-Levitt to find out where Aaron is. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is very much um, like aggro and, and like looking for a fight as well. So Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Like, no one in this movie deserves to be hit more, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, but I feel like in that, at least here it feels like the reason he's upset is specifically because like he feels like it's uh, Kristen's fault. Yeah, and like, Christian is also upset because Christian feels like it's his fault. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, they're both upset here. But, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has this whole speech about, how, like, like, well, he tells him first that Aaron is being sent home, and uh, the all the missionaries are moving now because they can't keep being neighbors with this person after this has happened, and he's going to get assigned a new companion and stuff. And so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, do you think I'm happy about this? I actually like that guy. Like, why do you have to fuck him up? Like, he doesn't deserve the kind of grief, grief he's he's got coming to him because of this. Mm. Like, so he's like, so if you want to know where he is, like, I want you to tell me why. Because I'm not just going to tell you where he is so you can go mess right. with him some more. Uh, but, yeah, so Christian admits the truth about the bed but says that it's not about that anymore and begs Joseph Gordon-Levitt to tell him where Aaron is. And Aaron's like, oh, you're too late. Anyway, his flight left 10 minutes ago. But he tells him there's a five-hour layover in Salt Lake. So, uh, yeah, Aaron is from Pocatello, Idaho. So he's being sent all the way home to Idaho, but his flight has a layover in Salt Lake City. And so Aaron, uh, and so uh, Christian immediately goes to Salt Lake City. <laughs> Which to me, I'm like, man, did he did he fly there? Did did he drive there from L.A.? How did he get there? 
It does not explain oh, I, it. I just, I just assumed he, fl he flew there. He probably would have to fly because it would take way too long to drive if it's only a five-hour layover. Yeah, and also, like, he he arrives at the airport. Um... Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, I guess maybe... Like, I'm like... Because in 2003, it would still be really hard to fly. It just seems like it would be difficult to get that much of a last-second flight to go to Salt Lake, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Contrivances. Whatever. It's gonna go. It's a long way to go. Uh, but he... He, yeah, he shows up at the airport and manages to find Aaron there, who's, like, standing out of in course, the snow. Because, yeah. yeah, of course. And, again, it's in Salt Lake City, so, of course, it's snowing. Uh, just a random aside, this is definitely not the Salt Lake Airport. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been to the Salt Lake Airport many times. That is not where they are. <laughs> but uh, that's where it's supposed to be in fiction, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it's worth noting at this point too that Aaron also would have been sent home if he was caught making out with a woman while he was on his mission. Mm. That's a big no-no, especially with an investigator. Like, oh boy, he also would have been sent home for that, but he wouldn't have been excommunicated for that. So there's In investigator. You know, an investigator is anyone that a missionary is talking to about the church. So because okay. they. Because they've held actual discussions with Christian and Julie, they would be considered investigators. Right, okay. Um, anyway, yeah, you're super duper not supposed to make out with anyone, especially <laughs> not an investigator. But right. uh, especially not an uh, investigator who's the same sex as you. So that is even worse of a no-no. But either way, he would have been sent home. Anyway, so then, uh, yeah, they're talking out in the snow... And uh, Christian's like, well, how could you just leave without saying anything? And Aaron's like, it's not my choice. I'm being sent home in shame. And I'm going to get excommunicated. Is, <laughs> but, is that accurate that, like, excommunication would happen for that sort of thing? Um, I think so, especially at the time. In general, it has, for a while, it's been possible to be gay and even pretty openly gay without being directly excommunicated. But specifically... Because, cause like, a lot of times it's, like, if something is happening on your own, or even if you're just saying you're gay, that's not necessarily actually a big enough, like, transgression. That's not church business in a way. Yeah, that's not church business. Like, people aren't going to really look into it that much. People don't care that much. But if you are caught directly making out with a, with a person of the same sex as you, especially on your mission, like, at that point, it's, like, they've got really direct evidence there. They can't really ignore that. <laughs> Mm, so right. like people have been excommunicated for being gay that is something that has happened in the past even if it's right. not necessarily every single gay person is excommunicated for that and uh that's one of the ways that the church has softened in recent years also i think uh now even if this exact scenario happened the guy involved wouldn't necessarily be excommunicated from it just being gay and just having even like uh, homosexual sexual relations isn't bad and is it isn't an excommunicatable offense anymore it right. still is a major sin you'd lose your temple recommend you can't but it but you wouldn't get removed from the church records um right because i was thinking you were saying these things about how they're very invested in keeping you in the church yeah honestly i think that's part of why they softened those rules 
Cause they, they changed it, yeah. Because they're like, if it's if the, if we're too hardline on this, more people are going to leave the church, and we're going to have to excommunicate way, way too many people. And they want to keep as right. many people on the rolls as possible. So right, I'm technically still on the church rolls, even though I don't go to church and haven't for like at least half a decade at this point. It's like I'm still on the records as being a member and I still get emails all the time from like my board people like, oh, you come to the meeting. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to stop messaging me. But um, anyway, you, you can't... don't have to pay a tax or anything. No, I mean, you're t- supposed to pay tithing if you're like mm. a good member of the church, but it's voluntary. <laughs> I'm not going right. to keep paying it. Uh, no, no. <laughs> obviously. A lot of people who are even good members of the church don't necessarily always pay their tithing. Right. But uh, you have to if you want to get into the temple, though. I mean, that's, I mean, one of the narratives that I, exist about Mormons, uh, it, like that I've heard, like, outside of speaking to you about it, has been this idea that, oh, Mormons have to pay so much money uh, to the church, like so much if they pay to cows to go to the church. Well, uh, the... Uh, the official, like, amount of tithing is 10% of your income mm. is what you're supposed to pay to be, like... Yeah, that's, um, that's not that much. ...in perfect good standing. So, like, yeah. Also, like, there very much is sort of doctrinally, there's the belief among Mormons that if you pay your tithing properly, then God will bless you with more money anyway. So, like... Ah, prosperity gospel. <laughs> yep. So, most Mormons Fun. don't consider it to be a big uh, hardship to pay it, but... I, yeah. yeah, there also are um, what are known as fast offerings, which um, the first Sunday of every month, Mormons fast and like skip two meals, basically, as sort of like a religious thing to like be closer to God. But also then you're supposed to donate uh, the amount of money you would have spent on those meals you skipped to the church. Right, and, right. Uh, that money goes specifically to the church's like welfare programs that feed the poor in the church because yeah if you Mm. don't if you if you are in poverty and you're in the church you can actually go through the church to have like um church run like yeah yeah, because the social programs are run through the church instead of like through government or whatever yeah uh there were times growing up uh when like my dad was unemployed and stuff where we occasionally would use what's uh one of the terms for it is the bishop's storehouse where like because, like, in the old, old days of the church, it used to be the bishops that would run the, like, charity programs, even though now it's, right. like, a church-wide thing rather than bishop-run. But, yeah, it's basically just a food pantry, but specifically for Mormons. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's what the fast offerings go to. But those, you don't even have to pay fast offerings to get into the temple. That's not even, like, as strictly dictated. But, yeah, you don't have to pay any of it, of it if you don't really want to. Oh, you also can ask, you can ask to have your name removed from the records of the church. So you can basically like request to be excommunicated essentially, but it's mm. just, it doesn't feel, it's kind of a pain to do. Like there's paperwork yeah, involved. Get, yeah. And it gets asked why I imagine. Yeah. It just, it doesn't seem worth it to me. Uh, no, it... But anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> So, again, this is, like, the big dramatic, like, rom-com speech moment, which is, the funny thing about it to me is that Aaron delivers, like, 
or no, sorry, not Aaron. Christian delivers like three separate big rom-com speeches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like one of them doesn't work. He's like, okay, let's try a different one. <laughs> like, <laughs> because so much all of the like, isn't it fate that we met? And uh, mm-hmm. like maybe, uh, you know, you want like uh, engraved message from God, but maybe what the only message you're going to get is me telling you that I love you. And... <laughs> Like, all this shit. Uh, Aaron is eventually persuaded, of course, and they kiss again. And he does talk a little bit about, like, like Christian, like, oh, you don't know what I would be giving up because, like, being excommunicated is, like, a big deal. But uh, Christian is, like, really insistent that them meeting was a miracle in itself. And uh, it turns out the airport is closing because of the snowstorm. So they go together to an airport motel where they have sex, of course. And this is the scene where you get the most direct shot of the garments. That's the magic Mormon underwear. So, oh, I did not notice at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, you definitely, you notice if you know what it looks like, obviously. Right. And also, like, there kind of is this moment about it where, like, because they're making out and they're undressing each other and, like, taking off their clothes and stuff. And there's a moment, like, where he only has his garments on, where he, like, kind of pushes Christian away for a moment and like there's a pause and then he pulls his garments off because like that clearly is a big deal Mm. like that's a big step to take those off and so he like has to like build himself up to it a little bit which I actually thought was kind of a neat detail um I want to go back and and notice that (laughs) yeah go back and watch that scene specifically you'll notice it yeah uh Aaron like afterwards they have like honestly i honestly i think the scene is really sweet like it's very romantically intimate like emotionally intimate as well as physically intimate it's kind of nice having them just hang out together after having sex and like yeah really getting to know each other i Uh, mean that part felt organic and one part that like uh like felt really real to me was uh christian at one point he's like i thought you'd be a little more reticent and aaron's like well i'm already going to hell for kissing you so i might as well take the scenic route (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like that (laughs) and like as again as a gay ex-mormon i like totally relate to that because i (laughs) because like i at one point was like okay well i'm already gay so then there's all these other arbitrary church rules that you start just doing like well whatever the fuck like like, I drank alcohol for the first time. I already time. broke this one, so... Yeah, like, I drank alcohol for the first time after I'd, like, come to terms with being gay, and I'm like, well, I'm already gay, I might as well drink a beer, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. I might as well have some coffee, because, yeah, Mormons can't drink coffee or tea either, but uh, it's, it's it's called the word of wisdom that restricts what Mormons can, like, drink and eat and stuff. It's kind of like the Mormon version of kosher or whatever, but it's it's less restrictive than kosher... I think in general, yeah, but, or, halal. or like halal, but it's like, yeah, it's the Mormon equivalent of that. Can't drink tea yeah. or coffee or alcohol or do drugs are the main things. Uh, yeah. Interestingly, the word of wisdom also encourages you to not eat very much meat and to eat more vegetables. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's not bad advice. It's not bad advice. Like... Mormons don't listen to it much, that part. They don't no. really pay attention, but... 
it's like pretty much yeah the book the the word of wisdom like the wording of it is basically like yeah uh meat is only for like times of famine and shit like only if you really have to eat meat otherwise just right eat meat. but yeah Mormons don't listen to that part so much i mean i think what's uh like it's also always interesting to me about like uh diet like religious dietary restrictions is the way like the really old ones always come from like the material conditions of the time yeah you know uh like the, being the there being a disease in pigs around that time uh in the middle east uh and and different stuff like that that you know shows that okay this religious rule would put was put in effect for very like practical reasons at the time so i'm just like trying to figure out the practical reason you wouldn't want people to drink tea and i'm kind of struggling with that I don't know. Actually, what the word of wisdom says is it forbids specifically hot drinks. But, like, in practice, in actual, like, Mormon, like, uh, rules, it specifically refers to coffee and tea. So Mormons still drink, like, hot chocolate and stuff. And even, like, herbal Uh, tea is acceptable, but not, like, tea tea. That feels very arbitrary. (laughs) Oh, it's extremely arbitrary. Some some Mormons have decided that because of that, that must mean that like the reason why coffee and tea are bad is because of caffeine. So they won't mm. drink. So that's why some people have the notion that like soda is forbidden to Mormons because some Mormons will take it a step further and not drink caffeinated sodas. But like right. other Mormons don't care about that at all. I know so many Mormons who are like addicted to Diet Coke, man. <laughs> it's right. It's a thing, but yeah, so it's, I don't know. It is very arbitrary and also has been right. enforced in different ways at different points in church history. It yeah, wasn't always makes sense. interpreted this specific way, but the current way it is these days is no coffee and tea and again, no alcohol or drugs and stuff, unless the drugs are specifically prescribed by a doctor, you know. <laughs> does, does the church have like um, people who like... Like the way you have in, uh, you know, in Islam and in Judaism, you have like these, like uh, religious academics who um, define what the rules mean in a, in a modern context. There's Does, not uh, Mormonism not the same thing. There's not really the same thing with Mormons because, like, in a lot of other churches, it's like, yeah, it is like uh, intellectuals who like discuss and debate the texts and stuff, who interpret them. Because Mm. Mormonism has the concept of, like, modern revelation and the fact that the leader of the church, like, is a prophet and has, like, a direct line to God, uh, you don't get as much of that sort of academic discussion of texts because it's, like, whatever the text is, whatever the leader of the church says it means is what it means because God told him that, so... There's... Yeah, I just mean, like, for example, the whole, like, uh, women not being allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia for a while was, like, a specific interpretation of Sharia law, because obviously cars weren't mentioned originally. Yeah, So yeah. it's just, like, wondering if you have the same thing of, like, things getting interpreted for, like, modern objects. Well, again, Mormonism is a very top-down, very centralized right. religion, so you don't really get different areas where things are interpreted differently because it's all it all goes back to the same right few men who are dictating what it is you know Mm. Um, except you do have there are a few small like mormon splinter groups like fundamentalist 
break off sects of Mormonism who like still, uh, who still do polygamy and stuff that mm. are in like sort of the weird backwoods areas of like Utah and Colorado and stuff, but they're considered, uh, apostates basically they're not like part of the official church at all they have their own whole they have their own organization so yeah it is it's just yeah when when the interpretations of things change like when the the way that the word of wisdom was enforced like has changed over time and stuff it's been because like the men at the top of the church are like okay we're gonna do it differently now that's like we're gonna change the policy that's it it's it's not a discussion really Right. Okay. And yeah, like like I said, with the people who will, were pushing for women to be ordained, if it like becomes too much of a discussion, if people try to make it a discussion, they'll just get mm. excommunicated. Right. <laughs> so. But yeah, but you you don't even have like I don't know the general authorities discussing it among each other or something. They they must discuss it among each other, but it's not really publicized. Right. And okay. it's not. Yeah. yeah, those discussions aren't made public. The reasoning isn't even ever made public. They just will announce the change. And right, okay. they don't justify it at all. It's just like, it's different now. So Yeah. Yeah, that's very different from, from other religions in some ways. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The fact that it, the, the belief in uh, modern revelation kind of changes the whole discussion a bit. Well, <laughs> but, what is uh, that more specifically? Well, it just means that, like, that God is still talking to people on earth. So, like, a lot of ah, right. even Christian sects are like, oh, we have this Bible that's the word of God, but God doesn't talk to people anymore. But Mormons are like, God is still actively talking to the leaders of our church. So whatever they right. say must be true because God told them. Like, we don't have to argue right. about right. what God really meant because we're being told it. Right. You know. That was a big tangent. <laughs> I mean, this whole episode is a tangent. This whole episode is a very long tangent. That's okay. <laughs> Listen, sometimes that's just what you have to do. Sometimes that's what you gotta do. So, uh, again, getting back to, like, their after-sex pillow talk, uh, Aaron, like, grabs his watch, his pocket watch that his dad gave him, which he reveals then is his, like, was his great-grandfather's pocket watch. And, Mm -hmm. uh, like, because he wants to check the time is why he grabs that. Uh, But then uh, Aaron sort of talks a bit about how he's turning his back on everything and how Christian wouldn't get it. But then Christian delivers this whole extremely dramatic speech. It's a very, <laughs> very drastic change in tone. Yeah, again, it's so little. It's just weird. Yeah. It's all about, like, how his, his, but he was a teenager, his homophobic dad wanted to, like, toughen him up, so he took him out into the woods to go hunting. But then they got stuck in a snowstorm, and his dad abandoned him. And he almost froze to death until a search and rescue guy found him in a cave and like took off both of their clothes and got in a sleeping bag because it's like to share body warmth to improve to like prevent Avoid hypothermia hypothermia to like save his life. But uh, he and but then Christian is like he ended up getting a hard on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Christian I'd be like, well. Uh, I thought uh, being gay would be worse than dying, but I almost died. And if this is what being gay is, this is actually fine. Yeah, he's like, this is like I've now experienced almost death and gayness, and I think gayness is better. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, after two, <laughs> <laughs> of the two, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, again, weird story, but it shows that uh, Christian... Uh, I was also a bit like, uh, <laughs> this line about, oh, you would never understand. It's like, didn't you hear him, like, joke about being happy he was away from his family earlier? Yeah, like, uh, you're I, not the only one with a homophobic family. Like, I had that thought, too. I'm like, he told you he doesn't talk to his family anymore. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, again, to prove that Christian isn't that, isn't actually that shallow or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, it does yeah, give... I feel like it's a shame that like Eren doesn't get the same depth as a character that uh, like he stays like apart from his relationship to the church changing in a lot of ways he stays pretty static as a character. Yeah, I guess that's true. I I uh, felt like Eren was a pretty deep character, but also as a gay Mormon, I was projecting a lot, so yeah, I mean it's it's possible that I'm, like nuances I'm not really noticing, uh, but I just felt like uh, like the Christian was given more, like he he changes more over the movie in, yeah, in some ways, yeah. and he he questions himself more in or at least we see him do it more, because yeah. maybe some of it is also like that we don't really see the moments when Aaron does that or like at least some of those moments are off screen. Yeah, I feel like Christian's whole character arc is, yeah, it's very direct, it's very clearly stated, and it's, yeah, and the and the movement of it is very clear, and it's about more than just being gay, whereas Aaron's whole mm. character arc tends to be more unspoken and understated and is pretty much just about coming to terms with being gay. Right. So, yeah, that definitely is a difference. But I also feel like, so this scene, both them meeting to for, again to like make out in the snow having their big reunion be in the snow and also this whole story about his past where he almost died in a snowstorm i feel like mm. those things give new dimension to when the aids patient was like ma doing his magical psychic reading and being like all i see in you is snow just, just yeah yeah white snow and yeah anyway so that's what that was about. Again, I uh, yeah. don't really see the purpose. Again, again, this 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 movie believes in in faith, and I guess in in magical uh, sick people making prophecies. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Anyway, so they they actually sleep together. They spend the night together, which is significant because Christian like could like tried to get one of his hookups to actually like sleep with him earlier in the movie, and he wouldn't. So. Like sleepover. Uh, like sleep, sleep, not, yeah. Right. Uh, and, but uh, when Christian wakes up in the morning, uh, Aaron has gone, but he left his pocket watch behind. It was on the floor, and Christian finds it and picks it up. So then we're in Idaho again now, and Aaron's mom comes to meet him at the airport, not his whole family. Like, his whole family was there when he said goodbye, but only his mom has come to pick him up. Uh Christian goes back home and Julia's like, where have you been, Salt Lake? If you went all the way there, you better have won the bet. But Christian's like, I <laughs> Christian's yeah. like, I th technically he has won the bet, but Christian is yeah, like, yeah. I, I think I'm the loser on this one, Jules, because he like caught genuine feelings. Feels bad. Yeah. He's, yeah. And uh, so we find out that Christian gave Julie's music demo to the AIDS patient guy who then gave it to a well-known producer he knew who's now contacting Julie. So Julie's music career seems to actually be taking off. And uh, then we go back to Aaron, who's sleeping in his childhood bedroom and having weird nightmares about being literally crucified. 
<laughs> All of their like dream sequences were so They're weird. They're so weird. <sighs> and then some time has passed, and uh, Christian doesn't want to sleep around like he used to, and he doesn't seem like he's over Aaron. And he tells Julie that it might be nice to have sex mean something. And Julie gives him like a hard time over it. Um, <laughs> then we get to see Aaron facing the church court headed by his father, the stake president. And uh, I read that Cox apparently spoke to a lot of people who had actually been through church court about their experiences. And just mm. from, from that and from how it matches up with what I've heard about it, it does seem like it's a pretty accurate depiction of what goes on at these church courts. Um, right. They're actually pretty rare. They're only convened in pretty extreme cases. Uh, the only ones I really know of would be for like, for stuff like this with homosexuality. Or then the other one that I know it happens with sometimes is with like cases of adultery. So like if you cheat right. on your spouse. And again, right. it, it only really happens if there's like irrefutable proof of stuff going down and stuff. Yeah, and and most, the main point of a church court is usually to try to convince the person to repent. Like, the person being put on trial is given a lot of chances to, yeah, like, I, repent. I, yeah, I guess we're coming into the scene after he's already refused to repent. Yeah, this would have been the end stage of, like, a lot Which, of different meetings and, like, counseling and I mean, sessions. I, I, I think it's a shame we don't get to see him make that statement because we basically don't get to see when the change from him being like scared and and you know uh regretting it uh to when he's like actively choosing not to quote unquote make amends for it uh like we don't get to see that moment i mean out, maybe outside the sex scene arguably yeah yeah but i think it's the same it skips that it's true. It really does skip a lot here. Uh, but yeah, like, I, like I've said before, even coming out, is, even like saying you're gay wouldn't necessarily be enough to convene a church court, even back when people got excommunicated for that. Uh, right. Because again, there would have to be some sort of evidence of actual sex going down <laughs> or something right. like that. But uh, uh, then sort of while the church court is going on, Julie is performing a song at a concert that has really weirdly Mormon-specific lyrics. Again, Julie's not Mormon, so I don't know what the fuck's going on with that, but, like, it has... Oh, was this the American... Yeah, one? yeah, but, like, at the start of the song, it specifically said when you were just the age of eight, like, you learned all this stuff, and, like, they taught you, like, there's only one way to go and all this stuff. The age of eight is only significant in a Mormon context. It's not... <laughs> right. Because, like, the, in a Mormon context, eight years old is considered the age of accountability. So that's when God starts holding you accountable for your own actions. Basically, any... That's young. <laughs> yeah, well, it's older than some Christian sects, because a lot of Christian sects, well... they practice infant baptism, because if you don't get baptized before you die, you're still a sin sinner, even if you're a literal baby, so... I mean, I guess that's true, yeah. That's that's why Mormons don't do infant baptism, because we're like, infants aren't responsible for their own actions. <laughs> but yeah. that's why at eight... I, I, mean, I mean, I think in, in Luther, Lutherism, the idea is like that like people could do it on your behalf, and then you could do the uh, confirmation when you're like 13 or something. Yeah, in, in Mormonism, it's just when you're 
eight years old, that's when you can get baptized and then immediately do a confirmation. That's like uh, you get to have the Holy Ghost as your constant companion is what the confirmation is in Mormonism. Uh, Right. But yeah, so that's why the age of eight is only a significant number in Mormonism. I don't think any other Christian sect like considers eight to be an important age. So I don't I I don't know why Julie's singing that. It's weird. (laughs) I was just, I was too preoccupied with like the American flag and like the land of the free. Yeah. I was just like, mm, the American, okay, sure. the American stuff was also really weird. Also, just a fun fact about the whole age of accountability thing. Uh, I don't know if you know much about the Ender's Game that series. Uh, uh yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. The, I, mean, I haven't read or watched it, but I know the guy is like extremely homophobic oh yeah orson scott card is extremely a homophobe and also just kind of a shitty writer in my opinion but his most famous Mm. uh like sci-fi work is called ender's game and right yeah i know yeah the whole point of it is that it's like child soldiers basically right orson scott card is a mormon and so it's very specifically important in his in that story that all of the child soldiers are under the age of eight because it means they're not accountable for their actions. So they can like commit tons mm-hmm. of murders as child soldiers, but it doesn't count because they're children, but specifically mm-hmm. under the age of eight. So a lot of people, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people when they came out with the Ender's Game movie, they were mad that they made like the kids into like preteens because then they're too old for it. <laughs> right, that's the problem with this. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're above the age of accountability, then it doesn't make any sense anymore. But <laughs> anyway. Mm. Is that, I, I don't know if you read the book, but I'm just I've wondering if that's it. like explicit, no. I've I just never... wonder if that's like explicit, like in it, that it's supposed, I guess, that if that's explicitly the reason. I don't know if it's in mentioned. In the book itself. Yeah, I don't know if it's mentioned in the book itself, but that's definitely the reason he did that. Like as a writer. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mormons are really into sci-fi and fantasy. Again, a weird thing, but there's a, <laughs> anyway, uh, Back to the movie itself. Uh, yeah, so he's doing. He's in church court. Uh, they're gonna excommunicate him. They kind of give him one last chance to like repent or whatever. Uh, but he of course doesn't. And Aaron's dad like says all this stuff about how he's brought shame to their church and their family and their ancestors. Which Mormons are obsessed with their ancestors, so that part checks out. Right. Uh, Aaron argues back that he's like, you know, our ancestors, our ancestors were like had like six wives. <laughs> like he, he brings up the Mormon church's history with polygamy to say that the church was like the original definition of an alternative lifestyle, which yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mor- Mormons straight up like fought with the U.S. government over polygamy and shit. It was like a whole thing, but. Uh, but yeah, so then the yeah, dad, how is how are, like isn't it illegal? Uh, yeah, today. Oh yeah. How how are those like uh, sects uh, who are still doing it like? I just they're just not doing it legally. Like yeah. only doing it within the church. It's just illegal. <laughs> it's just illegal what they're doing. Right. <laughs> they, okay. Fair. <laughs> they don't always get in trouble for it. Sometimes they do, especially because a lot right, of okay. the um, a lot of the sects that still do it also do a lot of like. Uh, really iffy child marriages and shit so Mm, like but because they kind of live in like separatist communes it's Mm. hard for the government to always do anything about it there are 
there are people like there are leaders of specific ones of those sects who have gone to jail and stuff. So it's not like it's completely ignored by the government, but right. Yeah. Back when the Mormon church proper was still doing it, there were plenty of guys who went to jail for it. But like, again, that right. was like a weird gray area for a long time because when the Mormons first settled Utah, it wasn't technically American territory. It was still Mexican territory. Right. So then later yeah. it got like annexed by the United States and there was this whole quote unquote Utah war where the government even like sent the army over to Utah. No one ever fought, I think, but the old like fort that they established is now part of the University of Utah where I went to school. Like it's the huh. it's the student dorms now is where the soldiers yeah. were. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, lots of random Mormon trivia for you there. But, uh, yeah, so then the dad is like, are you calling us hypocrites? And uh, he's like, no, we're way beyond hypocrisy, dad. Now we're just being mean. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, so they officially declare that he's going to be excommunicated and he's going to be like, um, his name's going to be taken off the church. He's going to be stripped of the power of the priesthood. Uh, he's not going to be allowed to wear the garments anymore. It's like basically when you're excommunicated from the church, all of the various like church rituals you've done up to that point are invalidated. So like you're it, mm. basically you're not even baptized anymore. Like that doesn't even count anymore when you're excommunicated. Right. You actually can rejoin the church after excommunication, but you have to go through all of it again. Like you have to start over from getting baptized again. And also like there has to uh, like, be a, from all the stuff you done since you were a kid basically yeah yeah and like there's yeah. a specific waiting time between like when you're excommunicated towards to when you have the choice of rejoining right but uh yeah anyway so there's a lot of jargon in this scene but it all checks out <laughs> it's very mm. very uh accurate jargon um there's an angsty shot when all the other church guys who were there as part of like the council or whatever leave and it's just like aaron facing down his dad uh and then uh, back in uh, California, Christian is calling just random people named Davis and Pocatello from the phone book <laughs> trying to track down Aaron. <laughs> 2003 was a different time. It really was. And he finally finds someone who knows him and manages to like find the actual number. Here's another weird fate bit, which is that Christian has been doodling random numbers while making all these calls. Right. And the random numbers he was drawing happened to match Aaron's actual phone number. Mm. It's just weird. Why? Anyway, Christian calls Aaron's house, and we finally see the inside of his home. And this is really funny to me because it's an extremely Mormon-looking house. I've been in so many houses exactly <laughs> like that. That is a Mormon that is house. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Aaron's mom answers the phone and, like, when she figures out who's calling, she hangs up and is basically like, oh, Aaron doesn't want to talk to you and Aaron, you ruined Aaron's life and, and shit. And uh, Christian is just straight up excited that he found Aaron. He's not even mad that she he got hung up on. He's like, yeah, I'll be able to call him later. He'll, he'll answer the phone himself eventually. And so they're just going to go out and celebrate. But then we see like this really intense, like tense family dinner Aaron is having with his mom. Apparently his dad has been avoiding coming home just by making excuses about having church stuff he has to do all the time. And Didn't he have a sister in, in the first scene? I thought he did, but she doesn't seem like, to be around. Where did the sister go? Uh, maybe the sister is in college, or maybe the, it was a cousin. 
I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's not a... I, I was just like, where is she? Why? What? Yeah, I was also confused by that. She doesn't seem to be around where if if she exists. But, uh... <laughs> if she is, the, like, a, a fever dream of our imagination. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, so they... Uh, so it's really tense. Uh, the mom drops a plate. Erin uh, is, like, keeps trying to get her to look at him. And she, like, doesn't even want to look at him. And then they have a fight about Christian, specifically. Because she's like, what's, what's the guy's name, Christian? And uh, she's like, what did he do? What did he do to you? And he's like, he loved me. Don't say that. Don't you know how ridiculous that sounds? How repulsive it is to God, to everyone? Yeah. <laughs> she, ba- she basically says it's not possible for men to feel love at all. <laughs> she's like... I mean, I guess what she's implying is it's romantic love. But yeah, because she's like... It's, <laughs> it's a really weird statement. She's like, it's women who bring love into a relationship. I'm like, okay, that's yeah, weird. Uh, she that's says, extremely weird. Like, get your marriage fixed. Yeah. She says that again. That's not necessarily. I could see specific Mormons believing that, but that's not really a Mormon belief that men are incapable of love. <laughs> right, <laughs> anyway, yeah. but uh, uh, then she says some shit about how Christian was fooling and beguiling him, and she apparently found out from his former mission president, who had found out from Joseph Gordon Levitt about the details of the bet. So she tells Aaron about the bet at this point, and is like, "He won your soul for a lousy fifty dollars." <laughs> <laughs> That is a good line. <laughs> it is. She says she says he's forgotten all about him and moved on to his next conquest, even though she knows he literally just called. Yeah, she knows. Yeah, yeah. D- clearly. But she complains about how the neighbors look at them. And again, that mm. part rings true to me because Mormons are like obsessed with appearances. Obsessed. Mm. And love to perform very subtle social ostracization, even while being like really nice and polite on the surface. So mm. all Fun. of that, all of that rings true to me. Um, and then Aaron is like, what if it's not something I've done? What if it's who I am? And she like slaps him like really hard. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. don't say that. Don't even think that. Which again, rings true to me. Cause like a lot of Mormons, like you can't even think about the bad things. That's why I was really good at repression for a long time. Just didn't think mm. about it. Uh, mm. they, they both start crying here and she's like, you can be forgiven. Maybe heavenly father can forgive you for what you've done. But for who you are, he could never forgive something like that. Which, uh, again, is a bit more of a hard line than what the stance is. Than what right. the church actually says about it. Uh, it's not quite it's that also, extreme, but... Yeah, but it's, it's also... But it, like, I think the whole forgiveness thing is extremely emphasized in, like, the religion I've been exposed to. Like, it's... Like, you almost live with the feeling like, okay, if he can't forgive you, what's the point? Like, yeah, isn't that yeah. the whole thing he's supposed to do? Like, Yeah, yeah, that's what, like, yeah, Mormonism tends to really emphasize that, yeah, that you can always repent, and God will always be there for you. And again, it's like mm. that he's not angry, he's disappointed sort of thing with God. Right, right, that he always yeah. wants you to come back to him. So, yeah, that's why, I, I, that's why I, I still think this is plausible, that a specific Mormon could think this way. And still, right. like, consider themselves a good Mormon. But it's not really exactly officially the Mormon stance on it. And right. there's a lot of Mormons who feel very differently about that, who would have yeah. different view towards it. So Yeah, so this is, like, yeah. a conservative within that space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, like, especially, again, this is also, I think, a timing thing, like a generational thing. Because there mm. were time periods in the church where... 
the church tended to go more for a like conversion therapy type of approach to things. Like right. I even have read stuff about specific conversion therapy programs that they did at Brigham Young University, mostly in like the seventies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, but these days, it's like there's Mormonism doesn't advocate for conversion therapy anymore. It's like yeah, it's the celibacy thing that. Mm. Mormonism pushes, which again isn't great. It's not good. Still can't get gay Mormon married or whatever, but like it's you know, no. it's slightly better than I would this. imagine I would imagine like uh again the race in which this is reminding me of some of the uh uh conservative churches uh in Denmark. Uh like you have the idea of like uh having long conversations with your priest about your struggles or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. And I saw one guy mention like, oh, I managed to like full conversation, move this guy uh, towards uh, like to be bisexual or whatever. So yeah. then he can get married to a movement. So the idea is less, you know, conversion camp and more, oh, we're just having a conversation, but it's, you know, it's still conversion therapy in, in essence. Oh, definitely. And, you know, Mormonism in general is ex- an extremely uh, gender essentialist religion. Like mm. I mentioned before about how it still has pretty strong gender segregation in, like, mm. various things. And then also, like, yeah, there's, like, uh, there's a specific document called the Proclamation of the Family that's, like, semi-scriptural. But it was because it was, like, an official statement by, like, the uh, Quorum of the Twelve, who are, like, the Twelve Apostles, who are the highest members of the church who work directly with the prophet. And the prophet is one of them that uh yeah that has all this statement about like what the family is and how marriage is between a man and a woman and all and how gender is like an essential part of your soul basically Mm. and so it's yeah again a very very gender essentialist religion so yeah it's always interesting whether uh like a religion believes that about the soul for instance yeah yeah so i you know i wouldn't have my fingers crossed that Mormonism will become accepting of gay or trans people at any point soon. No. (laughs) Not truly accepting. But, yeah. Anyway, so then we go back to California, and Julie and Christian are partying to celebrate having found Aaron, while at the same time Aaron is alone in his room agonizing and uh, finds an old X-Acto knife and attempts suicide. I really liked the, the contrasting scenes. Yeah, it was very the it was very dramatic how it was uh, mm. how it was framed. Uh, yeah, it keeps cutting back and forth between the two, like like the scene of desperation and like the like the depths of despair, and then like the like euphoria and like you know the partying. Yep, yeah, like that worked really well, I think. Yes. So then Aaron's parents are shown arriving home in early morning the next morning without Aaron. Uh, at this point, it's being left ambiguous. We don't know exactly what happened to Aaron, just that he, like, you know, slit his wrists. Uh, and we, we can assume he's not dead because of what type of movie it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, it's like it, the movie almost wants you to believe he's dead. Yeah, it definitely, it, yeah. Certainly Christian is led to believe he's dead in a moment here, but... Uh, 
Mm. Yeah, the the dad just basically just leaves again, leaving the mom at home. He's like, oh, gotta go back to the church. And the mom's like, we just got back. Like, what the fuck? But yeah. <laughs> only she's a Mormon mom, so she doesn't say what the fuck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> emotionally, she does. Emotionally, she says what the fuck. It's pretty clear that they just got back from the hospital. And then mm. Christian calls again, and the mom picks up again, and it's like, uh, and it's like, oh, hey, I know you don't want me to talk to your son, but uh, but she's like. Thanks to you, my son has taken a razor to his wrists. I've lost my son forever. So, you know, Christian yeah. assumes he's dead. Uh, Christian's yeah, very upset about this. Yeah, I think yeah. she probably meant by, like, I've lost my son forever as in, like, I've lost him to, like, the gay lifestyle or whatever. But, yeah, but I, I, I do think she meant to... She, I th- to yeah, I think she did well. intend that as well. It also is... Uh, it is noteworthy also that in mormon like um beliefs and in mormon doctrine like uh basically the main goal is for the whole family to go to the highest level of heaven together and Mm. so there's uh, and like part of like what's so great about going to the highest level of heaven is that your whole family can be there and like family ties are eternal and forever and stuff but if one person so if one person strays uh they can't make it to that same level of heaven. So they'll be cut off from the family in the mm. afterlife. So there's a sense that sort of, if you like fuck up and leave the church and like, don't go to heaven or whatever, not only are you ruining your own chances at heaven, you're ruining your whole family's heaven because you won't be able to be there with them. Right. Yeah. So that, so that lo- losing him forever thing could also be a reference to that afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so then Christian is really upset because he thinks Aaron's dead. He ends up having like a heart to heart with Lila about it. And at this point, Lila has, you know, obviously knows Christian really well and met Aaron earlier, but she has not made the connection that they're the people who know each other. Uh, yeah. And like Christian like is really upset because he genuinely believes that he drove Aaron to suicide and that he'll go to hell for it now. <laughs> He's like, I've fucked up. Mm. Uh, but uh like Lila has this whole speech about how like guilt detract distracts us from the greater truth, which is that we all have the inherent ability to heal. And we seem intent on living through even the worst heartbreak. And he's like, how? And she's like, Oh, practice, which I don't know. That seems like a weird thing to say in response to thinking someone's just committed suicide. Cause clearly yeah. not everyone lives through the worst heartbreak. I Yeah. He, I don't know. It seems like a weird I thing know, to I, say I, to I, me. I, I mean, I guess the context I would assume was the idea that she's lived through a lot of people dying of AIDS, maybe, and yeah, like, yeah. has gotten practiced in grieving uh, for those friends. Definitely, I feel like the intent. But it's yeah, I, I feel like the intent is definitely like it is possible to live and survive through grief, but it, it's yeah. just the specifically that like we seem intent on living even through the worst heartbreak is like in response to a suicide specifically seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. (laughs) But, uh, anyway, Julie is struggling to write her big song. That's going to be her debut single. Christian has been just sitting around moping and, uh, Christian goes to bed and Julie finds like his diary that used to be his hookup diary that he's now writing like angsty poetry in basically. (laughs) And she straight up plagiarizes it for a song. Uh, Fucked up. I was already... I was already, like, angry at her just for, like, looking at it and using it for a song at all. And then I hear the song, and it's, like, verbatim. And verbatim. I'm like, 
like like doing inspiration is already fucked up if you haven't asked yeah but like verbatim lifting these extremely personal words like what are you doing she does not tell him at all honestly fucked up should not have done that anyway so christian is hanging out with the aids patient friend again and he's like man you've got to stop coming here and moping around you're fucking depressing me and if you're depressing me that's saying something yeah (laughs) she's like i'm a depressing guy but he's like you've got to find a way past this like, oh, are you being or- the oracle right now? No, I'm just being a friend. So it's like clear that they're like really genuinely friends now, which is kind of nice. Mm. But um, yeah. then uh, the song that plays over this next scene is actually a Mormon hymn. So it's it's a song I'm very familiar with and have sung in church many times. Uh, but so this hymn that Julie is singing for some reason is uh, <laughs> is like playing while Christian is like staring at this pocket at the pocket watch, Aaron's pocket watch while he's moping. And then Christian actually goes to Aaron's house all the way in Idaho. <laughs> Again, we skip how he got to Idaho. <laughs> but he, he goes, yeah. goes to Idaho and he goes to Aaron's house and he returns the watch to Aaron's mom and he's crying. And he's like, I want you to know how sorry I am. And it kills me to know I might've caused him any pain. And he just like runs away after that. She even like mm. kind of tries to chase him down Maybe she feels guilty and is going to tell him that Aaron's not actually dead or whatever. But he, yes, she she looks at like the inscription on the watch and is yeah like, yeah which is some a specific Bible passage. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a scripture from First Corinthians. Uh, it's the greatest of these is charity, is the specific and it's passage. like virtue. So what? It's like do you know the context? Or? Yes, actually, it's from a, a specific. Um, verse that's like talking about sort of the virtues so it's like these are all of the like the important virtues that christ had and and the greatest of all the biggest virtue yeah yeah the greatest of all is charity and i think it's also an important context that um we we do teach that verse a lot in mormon churches like there were a lot of lessons i had on that specific verse Mm. and uh the specific interpretation, like, because Mormons love to talk about, like, different translations of the Bible and stuff. And uh, so specifically what gets said in Mormon churches is that the specifically charity in that verse, what it actually means is love. Right. So that kind of, like, the meaning of charity being love. It's like love, love, love of your neighbor. Kind yeah. Of yeah. Love of yeah. your neighbor, love of God, love of yourself, love of like right. in general so the fact that like, like charitable to people is loving them i guess yes exactly so it's not like necessarily just giving away money like charity has a bigger right, right. meaning in a mormon context and it's specific like connection to love i i think probably makes it significant here when it's about like yeah a movie yeah. about gay love or whatever so anyway not actually not probably super important but that is a bit of context on that uh yeah i mean i noticed a quote but i didn't I mean, I, I understood, okay, she's looking at a Bible passage and that's meaningful to her somehow, but I had no idea about like, yeah, yeah. what she was like getting from that. Yeah. Um, anyway, she fails to chase him down. He just leaves and goes back home. And then Christian, like, back in California again, again it would be like, it would be like a multiple hour long flight or like a, <laughs> or like a... Everyone could fast travel in this world. Or it would be like a, like, I'm like from... Pocatello, Idaho to LA would be like a two-day road trip. Like, that would be a... 
is a long distance. We just skip it. Um, <laughs> Christian has like this weird nightmare about being in conversion therapy and going through like an electric shock treatment. But then like Christian turns into Aaron who actually is in a conversion therapy center. But this whole sequence is like really weird it's and trippy weird. and like surreal yeah. and dreamlike. And he still has bandages on his wrists and like he's, He's like cleaning floors with a toothbrush and taking an ice bath, and it's, it's weird. Uh, we see that. Yeah, I didn't even realize what it was until like it's clarified later on. Yeah, it's not it's not very clear what's happening. It does have a shot of like the name of this place, which is apparently called the Dyer Treatment Facility. Um, anyway, then back in California, Julie receives a copy of her first music video on VHS in the mail. Again, two thousand three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But it's the song she plagiarized from Christian's notebook from his diary. And he's, she's like, oh, I don't want you to snap to judgment. Of course, he freaks out about it when he realizes. Cause like, yeah, who, like, a, like a normal person would. Who could blame him? She used verbatim his <laughs> private diary as a hit single. <laughs> uh, I think this is... And like, she obviously knows it's wrong. And yeah. knew it was wrong from the moment she did it. Yeah. So she just like overtly chose to be selfish. It's, um... Yeah, like there's there's even there's a great exchange where she's like, oh, I just thought if something good could come out of this. And he's like, oh, for you, maybe. Yeah. Something yeah. good for you. I didn't want you to do this. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's weird and bad. But uh, so then uh, Aaron is like, this next shot, Aaron seems to be on the streets of L.A. now. So we've skipped a lot. <laughs> he sees a lady in an angel costume waiting for the bus and, like, pauses to look at her and stuff. Um, he goes to Christian's house, but it's some other guy who answers, so he just leaves. Oh, earlier, Julie also said she was going to move to New York, so she was moving out. So that's significant. Um, hmm. she yeah, like... because he assumes that, like, Christian is sleeping around again. Or yeah, he assumes that it's a hookup. But, uh... So he next he goes to Lila's because he still has the business card she gave him way back when, when he she offered to give him a free meal. So she greets him warmly and he's like, oh, I didn't have anywhere else to go. So she like, you know, gets him a meal and is like, asks him what's going on because he doesn't look so great. So he tells her the whole story about how he was sent home and excommunicated for being gay. And she has this fun line where she's like, your church doesn't like alcohol or homosexuals? Well, I'm definitely not joining. Can't imagine heaven without both. (laughs) She's a great character. She's she's fun. But then he tells her about his suicide attempt and how he was put in a conversion therapy facility after that. And then he heard Julie's song based on Christian's letters Mm -hmm. while he was in the conversion therapy place. And Again, this movie believes in fate and it's awkward. It really believes in fate. And it's like, yeah, it's like, He's like, oh, it's like she was singing right to me because, of course, the diary was about him. Yeah, so I suppose, again, the movie is saying, oh, actually, what Julie did is fine and good because, because God and yeah. fate. and Because mm. God told her to do it secretly. It's, yeah, yes. it's kind of shitty. I don't like it. But, um, no. but uh, yeah, at this point, Christian comes out of the kitchen and straight up just drops his tray when he sees Aaron. Yeah, I, lo- I love that moment. It's great because... Aaron is dead, so that would be very yeah. shocking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because like they, they have this, they make significant eye contact and start walking towards each other. And Lila is like, "Wait, is this? This isn't." And then they hug each other, and she's just like, "Well," and she just leaves. <laughs> 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 it's like, "Well, okay, I'm out." 
<laughs> you guys just... Yeah, you, you, you deal with what you need to deal with. You do what you gotta do. <laughs> and then there's... You do your babe. Yeah. And then there's another, like, time weird time skip. And Lila and all the waiters, it, including Julie, who I had moved away, I thought, but is still there. And uh, Aaron also are all having a Thanksgiving dinner together at the restaurant. And Lila delivers this speech about how they all have a place at her table and a place in her heart. And it's this, like, found family sort of thing. And yeah. uh, voiceover, in a voiceover, Aaron talks about how everyone is connected and it's beautiful. And he can see, like, the Sunday comics now. Like, he can see the wider view like God can and or whatever, echoing the speech mm. that he gave to Lila earlier in the film about uh, stuff. And that's the end of the movie. It's it's kind of weird that they don't ever kiss here. Yeah, that's actually true. You don't get a final kiss. Yeah, they just have the very long hug when they reunite. Which is nice. And... I love a long hug, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I was also just like, is she just, does she just like hire like waiters based on how many like young people she wants to like be the like found family to yeah rather than the amount of people she actually needs to run the place yeah because it does seem like she's given Aaron a job probably but yeah it's, yeah it's weird and and julie is still there and it's like mm -hmm. and again julie supposedly moved to new york i don't know maybe i mean she... i guess maybe she come okay i came back for thanksgiving yeah, or something. yeah it's possible that she came back for thanksgiving but yeah yeah, it's also weird that we never really find out how Aaron got out of the conversion therapy facility. Like, it didn't seem like oh, he was... Yeah. It doesn't seem like he was there voluntarily, but they don't show him, like, escaping or anything. He just saw the music video and then was like, and then I was in L.A. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, again, again, I feel... I think that's, again, uh, one of the reasons the movie feels like it's mm, slightly more from uh, Kristen's perspective than from uh, Aaron's. Yeah, because there's a lot of yeah. these moments, like that, only Aaron sees that we don't get to see as an audience. I think that's part of why the very first time I watched this movie, I assumed it was being written from a non-Mormon perspective because it's kind of right. Like, because yeah, Christian is kind of the viewpoint character more than Aaron is. Right. But yeah, just the okay now that the movie is over i can get into why i feel really weird about the way this movie <laughs> frames things like really into it because like right. so it actually is a pretty common narrative for certain types of gay mormons that like they actually got like a revelation from god that told them that it was okay to be gay because like mm. again mormonism has this really strong emphasis on uh current revelation but also on personal revelation because there's like well god literally speaks to the prophet of the church but also god speaks to every individual person too and you're supposed to get like a personal confirmation message from god that the church is true and stuff like it's all you're supposed to get these personal messages from god which is again part of why like it was weird that Joseph Gordon-Levitt wasn't on board for going into the hospital because he felt like it. Because it, right. like, from a Mormon perspective, if you just feel like you should do something and you don't know why, it's God telling you to do it. So right. there are a lot of even like personal narratives I've heard from other gay Mormons where they talk about having like prayed about it or whatever and f having felt like God told them they should be gay and that it was okay for them to be gay. And I can see how that's a comforting narrative for a lot of people. 
And I think mm. that's, um, that's what this movie is going for with its right. weird religious aspects. Because like I said earlier, it's not just saying that clearly God wants them to be gay. It's specifically the Mormon God that wants mm-hmm. them to be gay because the way he tells them that they should be gay is a very Mormon way of saying it. Like the specific type of fate is an extremely Mormon fate. And what this focus on like your instincts. And... Yeah. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. much sort of like the promptings from the spirit style things happening. Right. And like the types of coincidences and like how, right. how people just did things without really knowing why they were doing them. And like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff is very, very Mormon. Uh, right. And, uh, and for a lot of people, especially a lot of like devout Mormons who have like gay relatives, that's such an easier like narrative to accept mm. because you can be like, Oh, they're not really going against God. They're not really going against like the true church or whatever. It's just that God told them something different. And if God said it, then that must be okay. Even if the church isn't saying it, you know? Mm. Uh, but for me personally, that's never been a narrative I'm very comfortable with. And no. That's something I tend to avoid talking to my relatives about because I even have heard my relatives talk about like that sort of like prompting from God type narrative, like that idea and how like, oh, well, you know, some people feel like God told them to do this. And I'm like, that's not how I feel about it. And I was a very devout Mormon. Like I genuinely believed in it. But for me specifically, I felt like um, like God didn't want me to be gay. Like I felt the exact mm-hmm. opposite of that. And I was choosing to be gay anyway, mm. which like, because I would, I like for me when I made that decision, cause like a lot of people even are both like remain both gay and Mormon. Like there are Mormons who go to church every week who consider themselves Mormon and gay at the same time and don't find those things to right. be, incompatible to me it was a direct choice to me i saw those things as being incompatible and again i'm not judgmental of gay people who stay in the church but to me personally i couldn't be both and right. uh part of that was because i did feel like god didn't want me to be gay and i even have mm. like um my patriarchal blessing which is kind of like a personal revelation that like a specific priesthood holder who's in an office called the patriarch will give like usually teenage Mormons is usually when you get your patriarchal blessing. And it's like everything that the patriarch says in that blessing is like written down by the church and officially filed by the church. And you get a printout of it because it's supposed to be like your personal scriptures. Like they give you your own personal roadmap for your life. And uh, my patriarchal blessing mentioned getting married to a young man in the temple. So like, if I was to genuinely believe in the Mormon God, I had all these very direct signs and pretty direct feelings too, that he didn't want me to be gay. Right. So that wasn't an option for me. I didn't ever feel like it felt disingenuous to me to Mm -hmm. say that because my own thoughts and feelings have evolved, that God must actually have agreed with this new thing. I think all along, Like, it's this, like, roundabout thing that I think a lot of people who have genuine faith in God even do, where, like, when their own feelings on some 
issue evolve. They just assume, well, oh, well, God knows better than me. So if I've learned something new, then God must have agreed with this new thing all along. And I was just mm-hmm. wrong about God before. But right. I've, I've never been comfortable with that narrative. I'm like, no, this is what I've been told God believes all my life. And that's what I believed that God believes. So if I believe in something different now, now I just have a fundamental disagreement with God. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, like, I'm not even sure I would consider myself an atheist exactly, because it's kind of hard to let go of a faith that you had that strongly. But Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Personally, I'm at a point where I'm just like, no, I just don't agree with God. I, don't, I just think God's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm just going to go against what he says even though he says it cuz I don't I don't think it I don't think he's right. So right. I don't I know. I think as someone who's you know basically being atheist uh like my whole adult adult life and most of my teens um like a lot of it also can strike me as a intellectually dishonest in this way where we're trying to rehabilitate something rather than genuinely uh, genuinely grappling with it yeah yeah um, like we can have these long discussions about what's the actual context of you know this specific passage in the bible that gets used uh, as a homophobic passage we can have a long discussion about okay what does this say in the original hebrew and does this even make sense as a like a way to interpret this? Um, and like that discussion can be interesting, but I also think at a certain point we have to, you know, be honest with ourselves and like in these discussions, be honest about how these things have been used against uh, gay people and, you know, different people in the community. Um, because I, I do think you have to deal with that at a certain point and not just go, well, it's probably fine now because we all know better and, you know, we don't have to take it so literally or, you know, God, I, in my personal relationship with God, I believe something different. Like, I mean, in that perspective, like, of course, there's a difference between what you personally believe and like the perspective you bring to a discussion, like those are very distinct things and you can, you know, believe whatever you believe. But I think in the discussions, we have to take it a level further than just going, oh, well, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense for God to be all loving if he doesn't love gay people or whatever. Like you, I, I feel like you have to deal with how these things have been used historically and, you know, be honest about that. Yeah, exactly. And I think... Mormonism specifically, to me, has always come across as a very all-or-nothing sort of religion. Like, sort of because it's so centralized and because it demands so much time and effort from you to, like, participate in it, and because it's, like, so top-down hierarchical, it's, like, either you believe in Mormonism this one specific way, or you don't actually believe in Mormonism. So So I have a weird... a weird time with people with stuff like this where like I think I would even be I guess more comfortable with it if it was like well uh like because this movie is clearly anti-Mormon church it like doesn't like the Mormon church mm. but it still seems to like the Mormon God which like I'd be more comfortable with it if it was like um yeah the Mormon church is wrong but God is actually really nice and loving but it was clearly like a 
different understanding of what God is like than the Mm -hmm. Mormon understanding of God. The reason I feel so weird about it is because it's like the Mormon church is bad, but Mormon God is good and likes gay people. Like specifically the Mormon God, which is why I feel weird about it. (laughs) Yeah, because you feel like, well, if if God's will is supposed to come out through these um, instinctual moments and, and coincidences, why would it have developed this way? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but again, I know a lot of Mormon gay people who find comfort in that kind of narrative and it was written by a Mormon gay guy. Mm, so yeah. I can't necessarily. And again, I, th- I think that's a, I think again, there's a big distinction between like personal belief and, public discussion of these issues yeah yeah but yeah so that's i wouldn't blame other people if they like did get a lot of good out of this movie and if they found this type of narrative comforting but to me it just comes across as like weird and disingenuous in a way specifically because of the like weird religious overtones and the way it specifically interacts with mormon beliefs about god Mm. i don't know but I, I, I like for me, I think also the way it is excuses a few behaviors that are, you know, iffy. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. The plagiarism is bad. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also like approaching a grieving person and going on about your religion, even if you know you're doing it in a way that, that way it's trying to make it about that grief, it's still inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. But it's okay because God told him to, on both camp, yeah. both counts. Yeah. yeah. But but on, that just makes me really uncomfortable. I know. It, yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. I also just you know I honestly rewatching this again. I underestimated how difficult it would be for me to watch emotionally. Like mm. I always knew it was hard for me to watch gay Mormon movies, not only because they tend to get stuff wrong, but also because like it's so personal. And it was like a right. really difficult and deeply painful thing for me coming to terms with my sexuality and leaving the church so it's like yeah it's emotionally difficult to watch something that's that direct but and I thought because I'd seen this movie before and I have a bit more distance from it than I used to I thought it would be I thought it wouldn't be a problem this time but it was still really hard to watch at times for me so that was fun but like that's not the fault of the movie that's my own baggage no 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 I think it's, I think often you, like, you can feel like you're more over a thing than you, like, maybe you mistake being, quote unquote, over something as it no longer affecting you when the truth of that is more that it's not something that you think about as much as you used to. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, you know, on, on, on the other hand, like, putting aside all my weird Mormon issues, I, I do think this is actually a pretty decent love story. Like, I think the I think Aaron and yeah, it's... I think Aaron and Christian are both genuinely, generally pretty likable characters, and they're mm-hmm. they have a decent amount of chemistry. There's some really sweet moments of intimacy. Like in terms of low budget gay rom coms, it's fine. <laughs> it's not yeah, like incredible, I mean... but it's fine. And I mean, the, the production value is at a level where you don't notice it that much. Yeah, it's yeah. It's mostly like some weird scene transitions is the only thing. Yep, definitely. Uh, like, there's nothing, like, the audio and the video itself is completely fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and the acting is completely fine. Yeah, the acting is completely fine. The writing, even though the, the, 
the plot is kind of weird and the pacing of the plot is kind of weird. The like moment to moment writing, like the dialogue and stuff is pretty charming and fun. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the tonal, uh, tonal issues were, were the biggest thing for me that like drew me out of it and was like, "Mm." yeah, definitely. But, you know, aside from being uncomfortable with (laughs) some of the religious aspects. Yeah. Which, you know, so if you want a decent gay rom-com and you either have a lot of feelings about religion and want to explore that or don't really care much about religious themes and are like, are they're nothing to you, maybe you want to watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a lot of religious trauma from growing up Mormon, ah. <laughs> Make it the day. Make your own decisions, but yeah, well, pre- <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, some of some of the other Mormon movies I've watched is I watched one called The Falls that is uh, about two Mormon missionaries falling in love with each other. Uh, mm. It also has two sequels, but I haven't watched the sequels. That one, I've got, I've got, I'm have to gonna have to look into it again to see who the writer is, but. I really feel like that one wasn't written by Mormons. That one has some really weird shit in it too. Uh, then there's uh, the Alex Cooper story that actually is based on a biography of a girl who was sent to like a conversion therapy thing by her Mormon parents. Mm-hmm. And that one more than any other movie I've seen rang true for me for Mormonism, even though again, it's an extreme case because it's right. not really the sort of thing that happens all the time. But, like, the specific, like, framing of it, again, because it was based on a biography, so it does, it makes sense that it would be accurate. And the rhetoric, I would imagine. Yeah, but, yeah, the rhetoric of it and the, like, specific ways that these things manifest bring Mm. very true to Mormonism for me. But, again, that one's about conversion therapy, so that one's a very difficult watch (laughs) if you've got any sort of trauma. Uh, So, but it's, you know, it's pretty good. But I I should watch more of The Fall sometimes, but just so I can judge them. But the, I didn't, I didn't like the first movie all that much, but, uh, mm. but, uh, also, what's the sort of Ryan Murphy one that you, Oh yeah. So that's I had what... some feelings about. <laughs> yeah. There's other ones where like, those are the only ones I know of that are directly about gay Mormons. Mm. Uh, there are other types where, where Mormons appear in other gay movies or like are referenced in other gay movies that are really weird. Like there was in, um, in Ryan Murphy's recent The Boys in the Band movie on Netflix, there was like a Mormon joke that someone made that was just completely wrong about Mormonism. Oh yeah, I remember what it was now. It was specifically someone was joking about like getting super drunk in order to hook up. And then in the morning you'd say it didn't count as being gay because you were drunk. And that's how you pretend that you're not gay for a long time. And they were like saying specifically that Mormons love that maneuver. And I'm like, Mormons don't drink. <laughs> and, yeah, again, the thing where, like, if you already, like, transgressed this rule, why not just Exactly. If you're already getting blackout drunk, then who cares if you're gay anymore? You're already going to hell. Like, <laughs> for a Mormon, yeah. that wouldn't be, like, you've already fucked up at that point. That's You're not going to try <laughs> to pretend you're not gay anymore. Right. But yeah, but then the other one that was weird is in the in the movie Gay Best Friend, like GBF. Mm, uh, yeah, there are Mormons who appear in it, including like a straight right. Mormon girl and like a closeted gay Mormon guy. 
that yeah, I remember uh, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Again, some of the terminology they get right, like she does mention her bishop or whatever, but I think they also show her like wearing a cross necklace, which Mormons don't do at all. Mormons don't go in for huh. cross. Uh, Mormons specifically do not use cross imagery because like the emphasis in Mormonism is supposed to be on the resurrection, not on the death. Because we believe right. in a living Christ, not like a dead Christ. Right, right. Is right. is like the the Mormon theory. So that's why Mormons don't use cross tr- don't use crosses at all. They don't wear crosses. They don't mm. put them on their churches. We don't use them at all. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, also yeah, there's a lot of weird things about her. Like she's drinking coffee. She's at multiple <laughs> points in the movie, and like the like closeted gay Mormon kid is like oh, well, I can sleep around with guys now and then I'll go on my mission and then I'll come back and get married. And like, but right now it doesn't count because I'm still young and I'll just fix it all later. Again, not a very Mormon attitude. <laughs> you've already right. you, you've already fucked it up at that point. And then like, you're not worthy right. to go on a mission anymore, actually, or get married right, at the temple. Right. You can't do any of those things if you've been hooking up with men, like, or with women even, you're really not supposed to have sex in Mormonism. Like, it's a really serious thing. Like, a lot of Christian sex, it's like, you're not supposed to have sex before you get married, but like, eh, people do it anyway. No, it's right, it's right. a big deal in Mormonism. <laughs> so, right, right. yeah, anyway, that whole thing was very much, they were just fundamentalist uh, evangelical Christians, but the movie called them Mormons. <laughs> Because jokes. Because it's so funny. For some reason, people think the idea of gay Mormons is hilarious, which mm. the reality of it is yeah. not that funny, guys. It's not, especially yeah. the idea of gay Mormon missionaries. People think it's so funny, because I think a lot of people don't really think of Mormon missionaries as people. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, but you know, it's yeah. fine. It's it's a failure of. Uh, Compassion, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the Book of Mormon musical has some gay shit in it too, but I've never actually watched that because it's just the Book of Mormon musical. From what I know, is deeply offensive on many levels, not just to Mormons. It's like straight up racist, and also yeah, yeah, it... very wrong about Mormonism in many ways. <laughs> it's very inaccurate. Yeah. Like, I don't even care about making fun of the Mormon church. Like, again, I don't have a lot of love for the Mormon church, but it's just when right. people are, like, criticizing it or making fun of it and getting it completely wrong, like, just factually wrong, yeah. it's annoying. It's like, it's not... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean like, uh, <laughs> it's a similar thing coming from, from a small country, and when, like, American media makes fun of it, you're like, please make accurate fun of us exactly it's like if you make fun of mormons and you're right about it i'll find it funny but uh right, exactly there's so I much think, i think generally generally people like being made fun of it's like an and, inclusive thing and there's so much funny shit about mormons do you know how <laughs> how many weird cosmic beliefs mormons have <laughs> we be- we believe that the planet Kolob is the closest planet to where God lives. We believe there's aliens <laughs> on other planets and Jesus has visited them too and Jesus is also the savior of all the aliens. Those are actual Mormon beliefs. You make fun of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Instead of making fun of Mormons for things that are actually true of evangelical Christians and not of Mormons. It, uh, 
Right, 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 right. <laughs> like target your jokes correctly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, other other gay Mormon shit. I know that there's. Uh, I think the main character of Angels in America is a gay Mormon, but again, I haven't watched that one partially because I feel like that one would be a very difficult watch emotionally. So what is it? Angels in America. It's like an old uh, play, actually a stage play was the original version of it. That's a play about a person dying of AIDS. Like it's very much about AIDS and mm. um, the AIDS crisis right. and death and uh, religious struggles. Because I think the the character who's Mormon actually even has an angel come and visit him and like give him revelations and stuff in like a sort of a right. Mormon way. And yeah, I, I it just I feel like it would be difficult for me to watch emotionally, so I haven't watched it yet. Right, there right, is right. there's a recorded version of it where actually Andrew Garfield plays the main character, and I feel like he'd do a really good mm. job in that role. So I want to watch that someday, but I just <laughs> do not feel up to it yet. <laughs> right, you have to set time off for that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's. Yeah. That's... I really don't. I, I really don't know if there's anything that really affects me that much in, in fiction in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think... and I, I mean, some of it is. It's just I, I assume like not having stuff that hits that closely uh, in media. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know it's like a really highly specific personal thing for me that mm. is just weird. Like I would never. I don't think I would ever write any gay Mormon media I just because it's not a topic I would feel like comfortable tackling right even though it's something that's so personal and close to me and like maybe I could do it in a way that felt more accurate and authentic to my specific beliefs I also feel like I don't know it's like such a big landmine it's not something I want to touch (laughs) yeah although I have I have written a few poems that are essentially about my experiences as a gay Mormon that are really mostly just about me being angry at God, but that I couldn't. Valid. I don't think I could write like a rom com about gay Mormons. No, that is a choice. I will. I mean, <laughs> not not a wrong one, but just no, like no. I mean, it's 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 a brave choice. I yeah, would say. yeah. I just wouldn't feel up to it myself. Uh, right. But yeah, so that's all my rambling about gay Mormon movies, and <laughs> and I think we've gone on very very long. At this point. Oh yeah, this has been a long episode, but right. there's a lot there's a lot to get into in this one. <laughs> yeah, but yes, I I appreciate you, Siggy, sticking with me through this uh, very long <laughs> conversation, and yeah. I appreciate any listeners who maybe have listened this far to my rambling. <laughs> and <laughs> It's interesting rambling. Now I've gotten it off my chest and we can probably avoid gay Mormon movies for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next time you're going to watch a, a, a Danish gay movie. Yeah. Um, so then we, so can... we can get into my cultural stuff. Yeah. We can have... Not, not necessarily... Not not any trauma or anything, but yeah. just you know cultural differences. You're like not as emotionally fraught, but your cultural rambling, which should be interesting right. as well, <laughs> in its own way. <laughs> also, ramblings about like biphobia in media because oh boy. Yes. Also, we should mention this is the one that uh, Matt Mickelson is in, right? Yeah, yeah. Matt Mickelson plays uh, 
the main character. Uh, yeah. So again, so uh, if you want to see like bisexual Mess Mikkelsen, uh, you should watch the movie. And it's it's, it's thematically related just because it's another weird old obscure gay film that has a surprisingly <laughs> big name actor in it. <laughs> just like this right. one had Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. It's a weird thing for him to be in. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to that next time. And we will see you all later. Do we have a sign-off thing for this? What's a quote from the movie we can use as a sign-off Oh, God. You don't have to be deep, you just have to be pretty. Ah, there you go. (laughs) See you next time. We have decided it cannot be. I'm not for him and he's not for me. He can do what he wants and I'll do what I can. But the both of us have got to get our man.